This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Cora. We're going to talk about Drug of Choice by John Lang, a.k.a. Michael Crichton. His eighth published novel, published under his uh, sixth under his pseudonym John Lang, first published in 1970. At the end of this book, uh, the audiobook, uh, there's a, I think he says, uh, sci- uh, finished the book in San Cristobal, uh, 1969, right? I don't know if we're. Uh, uh, I think it's. Uh, is it San Cristobal? Uh, it's not San Cristobal. It's not San Cristobal. It's a fictional. It's a fictional island. Right. It's uh, Christianstad, uh, San Croix. Right. Um, but isn't he saying that, that, that he's on the island at the end? Right? He is kind of. He is kind of saying he's on the island. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, which I think is pretty cool. Um, but I, I also think it tells us, uh, 1969 is the year it was, uh, written, which is mm-hmm. interesting. I think there's also the, uh, uh, one of the later chapters is called Back in the USSR, which is about a 1968 song by the Beatles. Yep. Um, uh, a couple of song title chapters. There's another one. There's yeah. a 19th nervous breakdown, which yeah, is, yeah, no, 18th, 18th nervous breakdown it was, right? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. impl- implying the, 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 the song uh, is the 19th. That's the Rolling yeah. Stone song from mm-hmm. 1966. So we're we're getting we're getting the idea here. Um, yeah. Very late 60s. <laughs> I want to just read the very brief Wikipedia entry because there's a couple of interesting things under it. Um, uh, I already read most of that uh, already. First published 1970. Uh, Hard case crime republished it under Crichton's name in November 2013. And that's the uh, art in the audiobook I sent you. Um, but then proposed film adaptation. Film rights were optioned in 1970 by actor Robert Forster and his agent David De Silva to produce a film starring Forster calling, called High Sync, S-Y-N-C-H. John Newfeld was hired to write the screenplay. Quote, unlike the book, our script will not have a happy ending, said Forster. Uh, we think the movie ought to serve as a warning. However, the film was never made. Um, and then uh, there's a citation, um, which has a great, a great headline. Uh, Elliot Gould will ride the tiger. Plenty for Paul Pakula. Full speed ahead. Elliot Gould getting in sync. New York Times. So that was just an announcement of the movie being purchased and, you know, trying to drum up interest in it. And eventually... Uh, Michael Crichton is making his own movies. Uh, I started watching a second one last night, which is pretty obscure, uh, starring Burt Reynolds and uh, uh, a couple other people, Ned Beatty. Um, and uh, he's in a very uneven filmmaker. But um, I, both, I sent you links to uh, the, a movie version of Coma by, based on the Robin... Uh, what's the name? Robin Cook. Robin Cook, right. 1978 movie based on a 1977 novel, I think it was, um, with Michael Crichton doing the script and, and directing. Did you guys watch it again? Or had you I seen it before? To watch it. I do, I do remember the movie because I do remember reading a lot of Robin 
Cook back in the name of the mother. I also like to read Robin Cook, so I do remember the movie. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize there was a Michael Crichton book kind of behind it, as it were. Well, I didn't either, exactly, but they're um, very similar. Uh, obviously, I didn't read the book, the uh, book, the Robin Cook book, but um, the plot of the movie is not identical to the plot of of uh, the book we read. However, there's a lot of um, similar scenes, including uh, with anesthesia tanks, uh, not trusting people, the cops are out to get you. Um, so it's a sort of a 1970s movie theme. There's a lot of movies like that, like the, the parallax view and such. Um, but uh, that's not what the book mostly reminded me of. Uh, Paul, if you didn't know, you, you, you were told it was definitely not written by Michael Crichton. Who would you mm-hmm. think wrote this book? Or at least came up with a, the main idea of the plot? Because it was really strikingly obvious to me. And I'm like, I know it's not, but it's 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 because it's too well put together. <laughs> but it totally reminded me of another author you and I. I mean, it kind of reminds me well. of Robin Cook, so I might have got guessed him. Um, who else? Um, it's, um, it's, it's not. It's it's too long for Theodore Sturgeon, and Sturgeon would have gone in a different direction. Yeah, no, it, it's not his personality. Actually, no. it reminded me a little bit of uh, Philip K. Dick. Oh, I have never you're exactly read, uh, correct. Book. It's exactly correct. Book, so the plot is there, a Philip K. Dick novel. It reminds me a bit of a Philip K. Dick novel. 100%. There, 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 is, there is a lot of surrealism to this novel. Like, I mean, I mean, how could... The, the, the narrator is unreliable to himself for a, a bunch of it. And, and then when he gets... He's, when he gets yeah, um, he's unreliable and, and, to uh, us, too. Because he's telling us what's happening and it ain't happening, right? Also, I, I mean the whole the whole the whole <laughs> everybody thing. Everybody thinks the narrator is mad. Even the narrator himself isn't quite sure if he isn't mad. So how should we be sure? <laughs> uh, but just uh, just when he gets on the plane to go to, I had a feeling it was going to go in this direction. You know, when they mentioned that the plane's windows were painted or mm. blacked out or whatever, and as soon as they got on the plane, I'm like. I think I know where this is going. And then they get there and it's all like, oh, it's, it's not exactly where I thought it was going. And then it turns out, oh, it was right. Yeah. <laughs> um, when, as soon as he wakes up in his bed in, in the hotel room and he sees the, the bad food on a bad, uh, serving tray, I'm mm-hmm. like, this book went where I thought it would go, which oh, okay. is so <laughs> Philip K. Dick. Right. It also reminds me of Norman Spinrad. I can't remember the name of the story, but there's a Norman Spinrad novel where everybody is on drugs all the time. And for a lark, a guy decides to stop taking the drugs and sees that the world is awful and horrible. Um, also, have either of you seen the movie The Congress? I don't think so. Um, is it is is an animated one? Yes. With yes, Robin I've Wright. seen that. Right, so I was thinking of that. That's Stanislav of Lem. That's a Lem. I think it's Lem. I think it's Lem. Yeah, yeah. It's based on it's based on it's based on the, uh, the Futurological College Congress by Lem. So basically, Jesse, we're going to tell you about this movie and we're going to spoil it because you love spoilers. Basically, um, Robin Wright, you know, as in um, the Princess Bride, Robin yeah, Wright yeah. plays a version of herself who, and she basically sells the rights to herself 
as an actress so they can digitally reproduce her. Uh-huh. Technology moves on so that you can basically take a pill and start seeing the world around you as you want. And she's kind of caught up in this whole weird cartoony world where everybody's just imagining who and what they want rather than the actual reality. But at one point she takes it out and the world around them is a crap sack world. It's terrible. But everyone's just imagining this blissful mm. reality that's not there. Mm-hmm. And that's what kind of reminded me when, 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 when he, when he, when he sees the, when he sees the bad food and people turning on these giant, on, on the aluminum foil to get suntan. It's like, oh my God, this is just like the Congress. I have to mention this during the podcast. I'm uh, so glad for the... it. Is. Uh, I didn't think of it at the time, but it is. Well, now you mention it. What's the Philip yeah, K. Because K. it's been novel. a while since I've seen the Congress. With the, with the, you, you'll remember this, Paul. It's the Philokitic novel where there's a town, uh. Time out of joint. Oh, there we go, I guess. Sorry. Uh, time out of joint is the one where he, he wakes up or something and he finds a, uh, little sticky note that says soda fountain. Lemonade stand. Yeah, lemonade yes. stand. Okay. So it, it was totally reminding me of that. Um, but it's also, uh, we can remember it for you wholesale. Where you go yeah, on these course. virtual vacations, right? You can't afford it. Yeah. But it also it reminds me of that new television show, which I haven't seen, uh, called Severance, where people. I, I, yeah, it, it, yeah, it's not. I a, haven't seen that, that one either. either. But, like but the idea is, you know, your work life and your regular life are separated, which uh, to me, when I heard this premise, reminded me of another Philip K. Dick sh- short story. Uh, got, that also got turned into a movie called Paycheck, where people right. are separated yeah, from their yeah. work by a, a loss of memory. Here, uh, the drug and and the hypnotic effect combine together to give you an illusory experience of reality. Um, right. Making uh, one of, one of the interesting things about the uh, the island is the celebs go there and they eat delicious food and then they lose weight because the food's not that delicious and they're not eating that much. <laughs> right. But yeah, uh, but the, as they say, and it's prescient of today, like, well, people don't mind if they lose weight. They, they just accept that. Oh, I must've been so active at the, at the, at the, but fair, all the work the- that they do on this island, like to you know, get some sandpaper out and give somebody a, a little skin knee and stuff like that. Um, yeah, they, they, yeah, there's a lot, lot, lot of fiddling to make sure that they keep the illusion. But yeah. it's Actually, so interesting. Uh, I think it would be really, really expensive to run this sort of, even if you, I mean, we don't have this drug, but if you had the drug, it would still be really expensive. The whole well, well, operation is expensive because you need all of those yeah. waiter, those people to take care of the guests and uh, rearrange reality around them. Them, it probably wouldn't be any cheaper than just running a real resort on the island. Yeah, you're not saving any. Because money. I mean, the people are not well paid to work in resorts like that. Well, I, I wanted to, um, I wanted to massage a couple of things. So that part of the book is just amazing, right? It's awesome. I love the setup too. I think the mm-hmm. first, you know, getting into it and finding out uh, this blue pea thing. It's very uh, house MD or whatever. You know, it's a mystery. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It starts out as, yeah. an, as a they, house MD. And then he goes on vacation. He goes on vacation, and we have this revelation that this is where the novel's headed. And then at the end, we have the chase and the figuring it out and all that stuff. Ultimately, uh, you guys are saying, I don't know about the economics of this island. Turns out you're right. <laughs> well, <laughs> the yo, company's yeah, going they, bankrupt. They, 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 yeah. They go, exactly. Um, so... <laughs> 
Philip K. Dick would have done it differently. Philip K. Dick would have gone more whole hog on the idea. And at the ending, the guy who's saying, you know, the, the, the company is going out of business. Everything's bad. You're our, you're our solution to this, which I, I thought was a little bit implausible. He <laughs> should have been starting to take the drug himself. This is like the Matrix scene where the guy wants to go back into the Matrix, right? He should have right. started, he should yeah. have figured out a way to, uh, manufacture enough of the drug himself so that he gets delusional thing that he wants and it ends in an insane asylum or him being cared for by a nurse who, you know, flips him over. Oh! Like all... That would have been brilliant. brilliant. Right. It would have been better than the bang, big boom, that, bang yeah. ending. The bang, big boom is, is sort of a Michael Crichton uh, and movie ending. Felt, yeah, it felt, it felt a little Stephen Kingy, as in the Running Man sort of, let's just blow everything up yes. at the end sort of approach. Yeah. But that, but your whole also, thing about... Also, blowing everything up doesn't really solve Ronsler's problems, because no. uh, everybody still think he, thinks he's a madman, and now he's blown up a whole company. Of course they're going to look <laughs> yeah. down. He's exactly. a yeah. Not a happy ending. But you made me think of the uh, recent movie Rem- Reminiscence. I don't know this uh, one. With Hugh Jackman. Mm-hmm. I Have haven't I, seen that one. Um, okay, it's 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 a near future Miami, which is flooded, and Hugh Jackman basically runs a company where you can basically walk into your memories. I'm going to spoil it a bit because Jesse doesn't mind spoiling. So yes, yeah, so we so so he he meets he meets this woman, and the the movie kind of turns on the whole him trying to she trying to remember things, he trying to remember things, and basically he's kind of turns out he's kind of living in his own memories and has been the entire movie mm-hmm. it, it, it's like that he's kind of retreated into his into his dreams as it were isn't that uh, yes. les yoyos or open your open eyes open your eyes vanilla sky oh yes, yes vanilla sky yeah, open your eyes it's similar good, that's another good reference but Although it I sounds like reminiscence is just a modern version of that it, it, it is very much a modern which version. is not a bad thing it's just you know it's it, it, unless there's a different yeah. twist on it um, um, it's I mean, just it's, it's got, another it's got version some interesting of it. world building. The, the Miami setting is interesting, and how it had they figure out well how how good people live in a flooded Miami. So it, it does some different things. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to go back to that um, back in the USSR chapter um, mm-hmm. because when I was a kid and I was listening to the Beatles, I was like, "Hey, uh, aren't we supposed to hate Russia?" <laughs> Um, did you guys know the story of the back of the USSR? Uh, no. The song? It's pretty interesting. So, um, what happened was they, uh, they started working on a, I think it's Paul McCartney's song, and he started working on a couple ideas for songs. There was a Chuck Berry song called Back in the USA. Um, and there was another couple of songs I think that influenced it. But, uh, the, the chorus, um, of the song, if I'm going, I'm going by memory is, uh, something like those Ukraine girls really knock me out, right? They leave yep. the West behind, behind, right? Yes. So that's the Beach Boys, right? Mm-hmm. They're making fun of the Beach Boys in that. And they're also making fun of, uh, or at least attacking the idea of, of nationalism, uh, against, against, uh, the USA, but also making it a reflection of, so th- the premise for the, the song is basically, it's somebody returning to the Soviet Union, right? Um, and he's saying, 
uh, I've seen the West, and I don't think it's that great. <laughs> In fact, I think yeah. just like but Americans there think, was people. there's no place there like people home. Existed. Right, right. You had these people, and also, I mean, uh, a but lot this of is the, not something that people from East Germany, the ones who could travel. A lot of them simply happily went back. They were like, "Oh, I, I bought some nice, uh, some nice stuff in West Germany, yeah. but now I'm back home, and home is best." Yes, and the thing is, is this is uh, this is a a big eye opener to a lot of people because they're told and they believe that if you see the system that they have over there, you would never want to go back. You know, once they see our system. They're going to want to come back. They want to stay in, in Canada or wherever it is, right? Um, Not everybody did. Even no. In the, of course, there were people, but even at the time, there were a lot of people who were allowed to travel for work. Of course, they were vetted. They vetted the people who were allowed to travel for work reasons. Also, um, East Germany, people over 60 or 65 was the cutoff. So people of pension age, they were allowed to travel to West Germany regularly. And most of them, they, they visited relatives and went back. Right. Back because they had family over there. Over there was home. They went back with uh, full bags of goodies. Goodies. And uh, this was, of course... And, and uh, you were telling me in a previous podcast. Because they said if they want to stay, then it's then West Germany has a bunch of pensioners they have to pay for. You, pay you, for. you were telling get, me... They did not want, want West Germany to have workers. You were telling workers. me before, in a previous podcast, how your... Uh, I think it was your aunt was sending you a bunch of translations of books that yes, were available in the East. Right. My and aunt not sent me, uh, sent me books. Uh, and you, you would send her food and fairly easily. And, uh, and she sent me, uh, me East. So I have a lot of actually because you're doing Tom Sawyer soon. Yeah. My yeah. Very thin and Tom Sawyer copy is in my, my main, my original copy, the one I actually read as a kid mm-hmm. is an East German copy, copy because. Oh, wow. that was, yeah. It's an East German copy. I still have. I would ever have to look it up. But um, I also had some science fiction books and so on. Mm-hmm. Star and Lamb and Strugatsky, whatever was translated, because um, because she figured out I liked uh, fantasy and I liked science fiction, so she got me those books and also lots of children books. Because books and records were fairly easy. They were not easily available, but you could get them. She lived in Leipzig or near Leipzig, which is the center of the publishing. Which was the German center of the publishing world, and then the East German center of the publishing world. So, she had access to those things, and also she also sent me toys. I have one of my I have East German toys still in my collection these day, to this day. And of course, we went to visit her when I was a, when I was a kid. Those masters kid. of the universe are not the East German. So I, I have actually seen I have actually seen East Germany in communist times. So uh, I want to I want to talk about why that's in this and why the chapter's called that because it is meant you know he's he's and this is the weird thing right so that movie uh coma it yeah. has that scene where he's inside the hospital with a he, transistor he, he, radio coma uh, sorry in coma it's a woman yeah 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 and you're it, right yes is a man you're right right um but it's a, uh, but it's otherwise a similar scene. you're right but it's actually the, the Michael uh it's the actor, um, the male Michael Douglas? Michael Douglas does the. Oh, it's him. Does I saw that. It. I saw the so woman. she's actually at the end of the movie. What ha- the the plot of it is? They they're they're lovers. They're both doctors. They're fighting about who should make the dinner, um, and then uh, she, one of her friends, goes in for. It's a very modern uh, film, Paul. You should definitely rewatch it. Um, one of her friends goes in for a therapeutic abortion. 
and she dies on, well, she doesn't die. She goes into a coma on the table, uh, during the operation. And then, uh, uh, she is cut up for parts. Is it really an abortion? Uh, yeah, an, an abortion. Wow, yeah. that's very that's, I mean, uh, it's a really political, interesting film. It's on an abortion. It was not as unspeakable as it is, in, at least in the U.S. It was. They, sh- they show the actual yeah. abortion on screen. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> wow. That I did not. And then they they also cut up her brain afterwards, which is pretty interesting. Trying to figure out what's wrong with her. They're doing in a slicing Unless, it up. Uh, of course, the German, because I would have seen it in the German dub. Mm-hmm. I saw it on TV ages ago. It would have been dubbed into German, and it's quite possible because I know it. that they did it. That they they changed the operation to something else. Because I had a memory that no, was they put her up like, in stirrups. It's really yeah. Like, I had a memory that it was something like uh, like knee surgery or, or, or hip surgery. At, at any or maybe they maybe they lied, uh, you know, and cut it or something. But uh, yeah, they could change it in the dub for sure. Yeah, they've probably changed it because I know that they used to do this quite a lot. For example. They cut all references to the Vietnam War out of Magnum PI for the German broadcast <laughs> in 1980. This is, of course, ridiculous because it's absolutely a totally different show. For some reason, they did not cut the there's references. A, there's to an Vietnam episode where they go to the, the Vietnam. I don't know why they did this, but they did this a lot. They, they changed things in dubs. And also, sometimes the evil Nazi is turned into some other evil guy because, well, Germans are kind of sick of. I'm also kind of sick of, oh, yeah, it's an evil Nazi. For example, Die Hard, the Alan Rickman character, he has a, I think he's Jack Gruber in the German version and Hans Gruber Hans in the Gruber. English language version, yeah. which always confused me. <laughs> Jack Gruber? That's weird. He's still Gruber. He's still he's, Gruber. But he's not even, yeah. he's, he's actually, what's funny is he's a fake German in the yeah, movie. Yeah, he's fake. He's fake all the time. He's, he, he wants, he try, also, of course, uh, look at him. He's not the IF. He's never been, he's never, I know. <laughs> We know what German terrorists look like. He's not like them. <laughs> well, yeah, he's just a guy who's he's uh, he's way too too suave and brilliant. They're not. Everything. They're fake terrorists. So like that's the funny well. part, right? They're not really terrorists. They're faking it. Um, I mean, uh, there is a German actor actually in that, Andreas Wisniewski. Yes, yes. he's a uh, guy with the long blonde hair. Yes, there's a lot of great character actors in that. Yeah. In that he's, band a, of... he's a very well-known German actor, a German TV actor. Always funny when you see him and think like, hey, that guy fought most worse. <laughs> <laughs> Not very long, though. He didn't last very yeah, long. Yeah, he dies quite quickly, but yeah. uh, he, lasts, uh, he lasts a bit longer than some of the yes. others. Yes, he's one of the <laughs> lieutenants or something. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, going back to our book in chapter USSR, um, I thought it was really interesting. He's listening to the radio in the book. Um, to act like, blend in like a member of the staff. This ha- also happens in the movie. Um, and what we ultimately see is, um, is that it's a critique of, I think, the most interesting thing is, why are they doing this? This, what is the purpose of this island? It doesn't make a lot of sense. It's gonna save a little money because they don't have to buy, like, uh, sailboats. <laughs> Right and uh, massage, yeah, massage they guys and t- actual tennis court. Right, they don't right, have right. Device, they don't. It's need all a mind palace, right? And they need a bit less, a bit fewer staff in the kitchens. Yeah, because they're just feeding them gruel, but it's not really saving a lot. You, you of have money. to you get them in their hotel room, and then they take that first drink, and then you don't have to worry about anything else. Um, so they're saving a little money, but I don't think that that's what it's ultimately for. It doesn't really say in the book. But 
um, what I think it really is, is, uh, it's for control. It's for control of people. Mm. And if you can, like, propaganda is the way we generally do it. We also drug people, right? We say, you know, do this, do that, take this, take that. And that's, that's in both the Robin Cook, uh, movie was scripted by, uh, Crichton and Mm -hmm. this book, right? The drugs, uh, the girl he meets, um, who turns out to be ultimately part of the scheme, right? The actress, um, she's popping pills. Yep. She's popping pills. His name reminded me so very much of Sharon Tate, except that Sharon Tate Mm. was not yet, uh, that the Sharon Tate murders only, if he finished this in early early 1969, Sharon Tate murders hadn't happened yet. Yeah. But she's definitely a, uh, yeah, I mean, she's supposed to be that sort of, uh, figure, right? Yeah. Blonde. Sort of, uh, I don't know if she was at- actually fake, but, uh, she was a, she was, but she was a, she was an up and coming star, yes. starlet and, uh, she'd only no, been I, in the I, one movie. Call, I don't think she would have had the, the great career that some people imagine these days. Mostly we remember, I don't think we would even remember her if she, very well, if she hadn't been murdered. We'll never know. Yeah, we don't know. That's the thing. Um, what, what also it made me think of is Scientology, right? Which a lot, I mean, this mo- this uh, movie, this show, this book is set in uh, Los Angeles for the most part. Um, the movie uh, Coma is set in Chicago, uh, but they they actually go uh, away to visit. Uh, they go on a little vacation actually to the beach. In fact, is a is a number of very striking parallels, and it's not like um, Crichton was unaware because. Uh, that, um, Robin Cook, I, I, I've not read a lot of Robin Cook, so I, I don't know. I didn't even know he was a guy. I'm not even, is it, is it, is it a male or female? He's a male, apparently. A male Robin, okay. I know the name because, um, it was, um, kind of, was very, very common, but I don't think They're they're contemporaries and they have a very interesting, similar career. Both doctors. The people who... Well, I mean, who gave birth to the modern medical thriller, which we did, yeah, which wasn't yeah. a thing before Crichton and Cook. And, Just and, as, and uh, Cook is bigger as, uh, in a certain sense. Gave, gave rise to the legal thriller. Another genre we didn't have before they started writing it. Well, that's, uh, Crichton does that too. There's a movie called Disclosure, which also stars Michael Douglas, right? Yeah, um, yeah. that's a very different movie. <laughs> oh, it yeah, is. that one. That I remember, that I've seen. Yeah, that, that was a <laughs> Which is a uh, Michael like Crichton book. Yeah, yeah like, uh, uh, by the way, another one to connect them together, Paul. Both married yeah. five times. Like <laughs> <laughs> a Crichton. Well, I mean, it's a number, right? Um, and Philip K. Dick both married five times. Um, so I, I think the idea here is this drug is going, the hotel is like their laboratory. It's, it's not, um, uh, yes, it's a, a money making scheme. At first, right, and the way his um, his travel agent, who had gone to the island, right, describes it, you can do anything there, and he says, "Like what? Coprophagia?" Yeah, <laughs> and he says, hilarious. "Yes, you can do it." <laughs> and the thing is, is that is true, right? Yeah, you can do anything true. there. He really actually did on the island. <laughs> <laughs> you can do well, anything there. Yeah. Westworld was also it was um, it's very it was much Westworld and, and uh, there's a there's a little known sequel to Westworld called Future World. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! Where, where they're 
I mean, Westworld is also the, the ultimate resort, and um, only that in Westworld you don't really, never really get the point in the original Westworld. I'm mm -hmm. not talking about the TV mm -hmm. show. Because, you never yeah, really the... get what's the point, like, what's the point of it all? You make yeah. this really, uh, really advanced resort, and then the robots go mad, and, yeah. uh, and uh, I think it's James Brolin, uh, Brolin escapes them. Yeah, it, them. it turns and, into yeah, a, a movie, different but, kind uh, of like, And then plot. in the future world, you get sort of the point that they're trying to replace people with important people that lose them to the resort and trying to replace them with androids. This is, of course, something which might be working here as well, only that they're not replacing anybody with androids. They're just they're driving their, their guilds yeah. and making them more suggestible. It's right. very, very plausible. What's so interesting about this book is I didn't know it was a science fiction novel when I started reading it. I was just like, this is... I heard that this was a drug dealer book. Um, yeah, I and I think I've confused it. Or some, I assume. I, I mean, it is a thriller, but it is science fiction. It definitely is a thriller. In the in the if you if you filmed this, this would fit into all those techno thriller movies from the seventies, like Parallax View and and uh, Coma. All, it's very much like that, Paul. It's the same. Even the blowing things up at the end. Coma is often is clear. I I have books about science fiction films from the which I remember. And coma is usually listed in those books. It is. It's definitely so it, a and it thriller. is one, of course. It, was it doesn't look like one, was made. but it is one. It, obviously, those striking images of the 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 people in comas, yeah, right? The floating people, of right. course. That's the one thing you really remember of coma is floating people. Yeah, and so what the the major difference, and I I think we have to agree that that is actually Michael Crichton rather than Robin Cook. I have not read the Cook. Cook is about the medicine, and Michael Crichton is about the ideas that the medicine bring. And uh, Cora, mm -hmm. we previously did that uh, binary, right? Yeah. yeah. And what's it about? Yeah. And what's it about? Uh, it's gases. It's about um, about the gas. gas. Tanks yeah. full of gases, Not right? Gas. Um, and that's what coma is about too. The the running around grabbing tanks full of gases and finding out, you know, oh, somebody mixed in carbon monoxide in order to cause brain death and therefore, right, to steal organs. Which is another of those things like, things which are, which is like, um, okay, I, I totally bought it when I first, first, uh, when I first saw it, but nowadays I think like, okay, and absolutely no one noticed, uh, this might happen once or twice, but no one notices that they, that they've got the wrong gas, that's not very plausible to me. Well, they, 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 in the movie, it's very well explained, but, um, you know, how it's all done, it's, 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 it is a techno thriller. Uh, I don't know, I haven't read the original book, so I can't say, but I think. Also, carbon monoxide poisoning has some uh, notable things, uh, things happen to the, there's changes to the skin, so they would have noticed if It's actually in the movie. Monoxide. Poisoning. They would have a doctor would have noticed at least if it happens. Maybe the first it's time part they of would the have struck it off, but the second, third time they would have said a healthy person suddenly goes into coma, and they would have noticed the physiological changes that carbon monoxide poisoning. I mean, carbon monoxide is a good way to poison to poison people if you want to want to, and it's volatile because it's a gas, but it is because um, you don't notice it, you just get sleepy and so on. It's not a bad way to poison people, but. Uh, Definitely, you notice what they what they died of or got ill of. Yeah, no, there it's in the film. So uh, rewatch it; you'll be surprised. It's a pretty yeah, good movie. Like I said, I haven't seen the movie probably in twenty five or more years. I, it's been a long yeah, time. Yeah, it's been I've a long time since I'd seen it as well. But uh, I, 
I think it's pretty good. Um, a lot of Michael Crichton movies are sort of pretty crunchy, you know, not so great. But uh, this one's pretty pretty well done. Michael Douglas is great, and Jean Vieux They never address her Quebecois accent. <laughs> it's just there, but she, she would have been a good uh, Kate Mulgrew or whatever. Yeah, her name she, was. she was supposed to be on. Um, she would have been I'm a good actually, one. But I always thought it was a pity. He was. He sort of vanished, actually. Actually, yeah. what would it be? Because uh, he was in in a lot of those techno thrillers and um, and uh, paranoia thrillers of the nineteen seventies. The Deep is one I really remember because I saw it when I was at my grandparents, and I was absolutely terrified by is the that bloody a Peter movie. Benchley? Yeah, yeah, movie, and he's in that one as well. So he's uh, one of these people I associate with these paranoid thrillers of the seventies, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. which are great. Um, so, what about? There's a uh, a casting couch section of this book. Yeah, <laughs> the glow girl. Yeah, well, no, but even before that, like, uh, he's in Hollywood. There are heroes in Hollywood. He doesn't like Hollywood. He hooks up with a starlet who tells him his her story about how she had an agent who said, oh, you know, yeah, get you into yeah. movies. Sharon Wilder's casting couch situation. Yeah, right. and the thing is, is it, it, it's all there. It's not the focus of the book. But again, this is something Michael Crichton would have had experience with because he worked in Hollywood, right? He's a screen, screenwriter, but he also was a director from very early in the 70s. So he put it in the book. He doesn't expose it like this book is about how... It's an women, expose, no. No, about how women are being exploited. But that's actually kind of the idea of the book in the first place. Um, the this this drug effect, and I'm I'm less happy about the end of the book. But it is even done to our hero, right? Uh, in the white room with the with the chair and the white gas and uh, sensory deprivation, and then eventually we we realize, oh, he's become compliant. I thought he was faking, but he wasn't faking. And eventually he gets out through dreams, uh, which is a way of a way to go, I guess. Um, but ultimately, this is the the point of these drugs. And I thought it was very interesting the backstory for the company, uh, how they got them. The point of these drugs is to control people, to make people see what their owners want them to see. The cor- the corporate overlords, their agents, oh uh, whatever. Oh Jesse, you know what this reminds me of now too. What's the that? way they phrase that? A certain movie with um, a certain wrestler named Roddy Roddy Piper. Oh yeah, definitely. They live, of course. Oh yes, Same yes. One. The the, the okay. difference there is, you know, this is a drug book, and that's a mm-hmm. technology. And that's aliens. Yeah, alien technology, but still they're. So it's like you're they're still seeing what I mean people see what they want to see and experience. Well, uh, sort of. Uh, what's interesting is we know there's something wrong in they live, right? We look around us, we see all the homeless, we we hear on the radio about how joblessness is up, right? We know that things are bad. Um but until you put on these glasses uh or or you start eating that trash can, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Until you put on these glasses, you won't know what the what you know that 
we're being controlled by lizard people or aliens or whatever it is, right? Um, that, that those alien lizard, the lizard people controlling everything were actually invented by Robert E. Howard of all people. Yeah, kind of, right? I mean, yeah, well, he was uh, the guy who who wrote the serp, the serp men of Valusia who controlled Valusia until King calls Cole the best. Them. But he uh, Cole kill Cole of Atlantis killed them. But of course, yeah, some of them escaped. Ah, Serp men all over the all over popular culture. Yeah, they're they're replacing us, the serpent men. <laughs> the thing, the thing is, I, I, I mean, that, that that kind of goes to the whole Doctor Who and the Silurians and the Sea Devils that they're coming back to replace us from their past. Oh, uh, yeah, but they're they're overt about it. They're not dressing up as us, right? No, no, that's more the whatchamacallits, um, the um, Zygons. Zygons is that what they do? I don't remember. They, the they, they shapeshift. Okay. Yeah, I think there's there were shapeshifters. Been a while yeah, since I've, I usually only watch Doctor Who whenever it's on the Hugo Bell these days. <laughs> <laughs> or when I'm in the UK and, oh, Doctor Who is on, let's watch. <laughs> so I think in the hands of Philip K. Dick, uh, which this practically is a Philip K. Dick idea, it's just, it's done. So what's that Philip K. Dick drug novel? Um, it's got the blues. Uh, it's the one where at the end of the book he gives a list of all the people he died, friends of his oh, who oh, died oh, to oh, drugs. You mean Scanner Darkly. Scanner Darkly, right? Um, so that's his drug book. I, that's I his would drug say. book, and that's another good touchstone for like seeing things that aren't there and reality kind of getting bent by drugs, like this one. Yes, and 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 he becomes a at the end of that book he becomes a drug picker, right? The guy who's out in the fields picking, and he's very happy because he's he's so zonked on his drug. Um, so this is like a a metaphor, but it's also a reality. Drugs are super pushed, right? Super, I mean, you guys in the States, apparently all your ads are for drugs now, right? On television, I... I, yeah, I've only witnessed it. We have very few. Yeah, we, have no, we don't have any. It's it's actually it's forbidden to advertise prescription drugs. The only thing you can advertise on TV are um, all the other recipe, other the non-prescription drugs. So you get we get advertisements for for painkillers and the sort of that sort mm-hmm. of thing. And what I really love for some kind of cream for vaginal dryness. And they advertise this stuff all over TV. And when I was teaching all the little Little boys were like, stuff is called Vagizan. So it was, Vagizan! Vagizan! All the little boys were like, hated oh, do you know? Yeah, do you know why they do that? Because, because it's, yeah, cause it's like, a trigger. Oh, I had a student used to say, I had a student who used to say Trump all the time. It was hilarious. Because <laughs> it, yeah. it would yeah, trigger this was, people. This was always this, I really, I still, I hate this. I hated this. I said, whoever made these ads should we get stuck in a room with little boys, always saying, Vagizan, Vagizan. They should get stuck in. I mean, it's no problem with the product itself. <laughs> Eventually, <laughs> like, okay, that's a good, those boys that's a grow up. For some people, but none of you is going to need it anytime, anytime soon. It's, it's, for, it's, for older, it's for older women, so please don't, you don't need the Vagizan. Sorry, you're, boy, you're little boys. But yeah, it's had to be evil. It's had an, it's had the word with Lina, and that was shocking, shocking, shocking for so, ten or twelve years. Old. <laughs> those um those uh drug ads uh don't just work on uh the patients. They also work on the doctors. And I thought that that was really interesting. That especially in the early part of the books, where he's 
he, you know, he's going out with this lady and she's taking drug after drug after drug, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and she said, don't you want to take some of this? And eventually he gives in and does. Yeah. Right. And the thing is, is uh, he consults with a, a drug rep who's saying, ah, we got this drug and we got that drug. And of course it's addictive. <laughs> I'm like, that's kind of the point. Right. Um, and yeah, they, they open. I think it's not, I think the real world is probably not that, but I mean, those, um, opioid painkillers, which are really nasty stuff. They were, they were really heavily pushed, especially in the US. It didn't work. Yes. In Germany, they haven't been. That all the laws prevented, which is why uh, when when House MD was on, I thought this this drug he was taking was a fictional was a fictional name. I didn't know it was an actual really really and and uh, which is why I didn't get him why everybody was giving him a hard time because like okay he's in pain he's taking he's taking a he's taking painkillers yeah maybe Vicodin, not a whole handful that's not good but I didn't know what sort of drugs and this was really nasty stuff I thought it was a fictional drug and so did everybody else because you can't. You can probably get it here, but it's not easy to to get those stuff. Um, we actually have a whole bunch of, uh, and this would be mild by U.S. standards in the in the basement because I prescribed a whole big batch of the stuff to my mom and who uh, after her surgery, and so we still have a bunch of of these really nasty, really nasty stuff in the basement. What I'm hearing is party at Cora's house after the podcast. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> the, uh, neoliberalism that is, uh, you know, domestically doing this to the United States, uh, is coming to all the other countries. It's just slower. Like, it takes longer, right? Yeah, um, they're still there, but it's, uh, it's getting more, but it's, uh, luckily our doctors are a bit reluctant. Yeah, there's a, a, there is a, uh, On the other hand, someone, and no one wants to be doing this, uh, prescribed, uh, uh Prescribed in four weeks, uh, like uh, two hundred uh, pills of uh, of this opioid painkillers, which is supposedly marked by opioid standards. Standards and stuff is called Tilidine. They prescribed her her like two hundred pills for in four weeks, and we said like that's way too much. Much oh, but she sometimes said she, she said said out when someone touches her. Yes, she does that because she doesn't. She wants to be left alone, but not because <laughs> she's actually in pain. Wow. She's in pain. She didn't be. Really, when she went home, I think I still gave her two of those pills, and then we just said, said, fuck those pills, and they gave her five a day, which is way too much, yes, I'm really angry about that. Well, yes. You know, um, it's interesting, uh, the word ouch, uh, is it ouch in German as well? It's the same, it's our ouch, it's the same everywhere. It's the really? Same everywhere. It's a, no, it's not I the same in every natural, country. I think it's a natural reaction. Yeah, but reaction it's not ouch to, to in make this sound Mongolia. Instinctive thing, and so it's the same everywhere in the world. I'm pretty sure it's not ouch in um, Mongolia. Well, uh, ouch is... Um, it's not a universal word. It's from uh, the German word ouch, A-U-T-S-C-H. Yeah, so. it's it's spelled differently, but the pronunciation yeah. is the same. Yeah, I'm, I, from the Latin I, I think, ow, A-U. Yeah, I think so. it's a European thing. I, I don't think it, South yeah, American Indians are using ouch uh, as their native language. However, um, it doesn't matter what the particular word is. Um, there have been scientific studies, and these are fascinating to me, about uh, pain, how how pain can be managed. Um, the the most interesting ones about this are uh, where they get human subjects to put their, uh, I think it's usually their forearms, into ice water. And the longer they hold them in there, 
the more uh, they get paid. <laughs> and uh, they allow one group to swear and say, ow, 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 and another group not to do that. Um, uh, and, or they give them some word they can say. And if it is like, fuck, god damn it, this fucking hurts, then they can last longer. And the word ouch, as you're saying about your mom's reaction to uh, being touched, is mm-hmm. we say, and I've seen this happen in little kids. Uh, I'm I probably experienced it myself. But I just don't remember. Um, we say uh, words of pain as a uh, prophylactic against pain. So uh, I once saw a little kid uh, fall down, uh, skin his knee, not very bad, right? Just a little, a little bit. And he looked up at me to see what my reaction was, and my reaction was, "Hey, are you okay?" And then he started crying. <laughs> the thing is, is if it, my reaction had been, "Come on, let's go." I'm pretty sure he would have been a lot better than he was. I suspect also he simply wanted to be, be comforted, probably. Because, Could be. Uh, he wanted a hug or something like that. Could be. He probably wanted some of the attention, like, oh, we, we'll Everybody a, needs attention, absolutely. Band-aid on the knee and so on. Oh, no, no, yeah. he didn't need a band-aid. It wasn't that bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, band-aids can be... Um... It can be uh, what's it called? Can be uh, psychosomatic. Just to have a bandaid on, you makes you feel better. Well, I think not I think that that's the same thing with the word like "ouch," right? So I, I I'll sometimes you know stub my toe and I say "ow," right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it actually doesn't hurt. And it was because I was hoping that it wouldn't hurt, and I'm using the prophylactic word that's like a magic against it. Um, these words, in the same way that little kid can say a uh, uh, cream or whatever. Um, and get a, a, a dopamine or some sort of reaction in you. It's probably not dopamine, actually. Um, but they get a dopamine reaction, right? Um, same said thing. A, yeah. They've said a bad, uh, they've said what to think is a bad word. Yeah. And, and, just the name and of a, everybody of a, around them stresses out. Drug. It's like they threw a grenade in the room, right? And, yeah. and now everybody's uh, feeling the effects, but they get a, they get a, a positive hit. The same thing yeah. works. You can do that to yourself. So it isn't just like for other people to know that you are hurt. It's also a prophylactic against pain. And that is fascinating because it's, it's what the effect of drugs are is to change your brain, to change your reaction to your experience of reality. So this, this island, I think is their dry run for seeing what they can do and what they can get away with. And think of what you can do to your employees, and that's exactly what they do, right? They they hire our main character in order to work the problem. They don't even hire him. They basically um, hijack him. Well, he doesn't want to work yeah, for them. They, they yeah. cheat him into he it. He doesn't want to work for them. He never wants to work for them. But uh, well, he refuses. He turns them down, and they basically hijack him. And- but uh, then they make him uh, compliant <laughs> with the drug, right? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't work. So that's how he gets out of it is he dreams his way out of it. I, that's a cheat to me. I think that that's why the book isn't a spectacular success. Um, Philip K. Dick would have gone in a different direction or maybe that Robert Forster film would have gone in a better direction. Yeah, but uh, Philip K. Dick is, is uh, not Michael Crichton and Philip K. Dick are very, even if they are 
in the same territory here. They're very, very different writers. Yeah, they're very, very would have, different. Dick would have gone in a very different direction. Yes, yeah, but he, he could have come up with a better ending. Life. Right? Yeah, I, think he would, I think he would wound up working for them for life, probably under the clues of the drug in a Pope K. Dick novel. See following. It, it, uh, it could be a, a dark ending. This is like, uh, you just go the dark ending, and it becomes an apocalyptic novel, right? It's the right. end, right? It's the beginning of the Matrix, right? How we got into the Matrix. Yeah. Um, but what, what's so interesting to me about what is good about Crichton's ending is thinking about how the company could have started using it themselves on themselves and ending it uh, with, the, you know, we're all deluding ourselves because that experience of what he was experiencing on the island, we're getting it through this book form, right? Um, uh, he's saying he, he played three games of tennis with, uh, what's her name? Sharon? I don't remember. Sharon. Sharon. Um, and she, she won the first two and he won the third. Uh, and then he finds out he broke his tennis racket. That is, for us, that was what happened until it didn't, right? Until he comes out of it. And I'm like, this is awesome. This is, ex- this is exactly the confabulatory experience of reality we all have. We think, oh, this is good restaurant. What makes it good? It's cheap and the food tastes yummy because I'm so hungry. If you want to really appreciate what you have, just go live in the mountains for three weeks with no hot running water, uh, you know, old, uh, nitrate filled hot dogs for your food, (laughs) you know, covered in mosquito bites and come home to a nice hot shower and, uh, you know, a brunch at Denny's. You suddenly think life is wonderful. (laughs) What, What changed? What changed? Not much. Life was wonderful before, you just couldn't perceive it as such, right? And that's in this book, and it's also the premise for these drugs having these effects. What do you, what do you make of the idea that the, the, uh, drug was derived from, um, uh, a sexually transmitted shark disease? <laughs> just a random bit, random Crytonian bit. Well, uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah. Sharks, no, it wasn't quite. You know, no, it was, it was the shark. The fashion for sharks um, came a bit later. That wasn't, I think, yet in the early at this point. Oh no, the but I think it's just, books, it's just yeah. something random he threw, threw in there. I don't like, think it's oh, completely random. A miracle drug. We need to, to have it derived from something. I mean, it could have been a rare orchid in the Amazonas basin or something like that, which actually would have made more sense than the shark diseases. I don't think it's completely random. I, I remember reading the biography of John Lang on the back mm-hmm. of, well, maybe it was inside the dust, dust jacket or whatever of the paperback. It's not a dust jacket. Inside. Um, and it said he worked at an inst, uh, marine institute in, in Florida. Oh. So it's no, like, no, 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 no. Did Crichton really do that? Or is that a fake? No, it's fake. Is it a fake bio? It's bio fake. Okay. But- because but, Crichton was a medical student, I think, when right. he wrote those. Yes, but the, 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 uh, the, the, it's like it's like when um, the author. The, so Lawrence Block wrote two really terrific. Uh, I think they're Paul Cavanaugh books, um, and the I think the first one, um, it's it's like a CIA sort of uh, agent, assassin sort of guy book um really tr- might be the triumph of evil I'm, i can't remember the title it's either triumph of evil or another one uh was the first one anyways 
the main character is named Paul Cavanaugh. It's written by a guy named Paul Cavanaugh, right, on the cover. And then you're reading about Paul Cavanaugh doing all these things. And he's, mm-hmm. he, you know, and then there's on the back of the book, there's a dust, you know, the author biography, Paul Cavanaugh, not his real name, uh, is an ex-CIA agent who for, right, it's a complete lie, right? It's just Lawrence Black wrote a spy book. But part of the packaging of, of a, of a novel is reading about the author. And I remember, uh, in Eaters of the Dead, um, which I believe Crichton wrote under his own name. Uh, but, um, on the copyright page and, uh, somewhere in the book, it talks about this is a translation of Ibn Fadlan's, uh, 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 expedition to uh, the northern lands and it's just a retelling of beowulf but <laughs> but the guy is actually like ibn fadlan was a real guy but, yeah, but it's attributing a fake book to him basically but yeah. but uh, this is pre-internet where you can't just like type things in and look it up right? <laughs> nowadays is- actually you get in trouble if you do i mean uh, jk rowling yes he's a terrible turf but uh she wrote those um, Robert Galbraith books, and they, had, they came with a fake biography of Robert Galbraith, who, as an ex-military policeman, blah blah, and mm. uh, and uh, the character I think was also an ex-military. It's been a while since I've read the first one, and I never read the subsequent ones. Once, uh, the character is also an um, ex-military policeman. Man, and uh, she actually got in trouble when it came out. Like, oh, but she lied. She pretends yeah. to be and she well, have been in the military. That's... But I mean, all author biographies, of course, mishatched. Uh, well, but she's, example, she, if it's a she military didn't... science fiction or thriller also, they always mention their military service. When that example, book Martin came out? Close, the, science, uh, the, science, the science fiction author. It's like, he was in the West German military. Yes, we had compulsory military service when he was known in the German military. They never said West German, which is silly because it would have been West Germany at the time when he was age. Had to, to look up where he was born, which wasn't easy because I wanted to know if it was East, West or East German. German and uh, but we had compulsory military service. That's like saying he was in high school, mm. high school, because every male male unless you did uh, civil unless you did uh, work in hospital stuff stuff would have done it. But it's uh, but because he writes military science fiction, it's played up. Or all of these stories about uh, usually with a woman also also oh she was uh, like Stephanie Meyer or even E. L. James. It's always fake in this case. Oh, she didn't even know that people wrote books until she had this magical dream and she's just an ordinary housewife with a golden retriever and 2.5 children. Stephanie Meyer attended uh, <laughs> writing classes at, uh, at what is the Mormon one called? Brigham, Brigham Young University. She went to Dave Farland's writing classes. She was one of his students. She knew what writing was. She, she, wanted, she, developed, she wanted to write and that's great, but... It's about her official story. It's like, oh, she probably had the dream. I'm not saying she didn't have the dream, but she knew what writing was. Well, she was, a, she was in a writing class. Class. It wasn't just, uh, oh, I, um, I was inspired by Jane Austen or whatever. She wasn't inspired by Jane Austen. She was in a writing class. She took writing classes. She liked writing. She wanted to write. Or um, E.L. James. E.L. James, who's another the Fifty Shades of Grey woman. Woman. <laughs> she was, uh, yeah, she wrote... Fan fiction, Fifty Shades of Grey. But she is a TV producer in the U- in the UK. Her husband is a screenwriter. Her husband worked on I've seen them, pretty good, uh, good uh, crime movies. Some of whom were, which were about um, murderers uh, who use uh, use uh, you know, SMM stuff and so on. She 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 was not she was not the ordinary housewife. She never was was, and that's perfect. I think it's okay. I want to write. I go to cl- I take classes. 
but especially if it's a woman and in certain genres like romance and YA, you always get these fake bells, these be. I mean, of course, they probably have, they have a husband, they have children, they probably have the golden retriever, but the ordinary housewife thing is always a, always a kind, is often a kind of fake. Well, I want to uh, go into this a little bit because I'm not super familiar with the Robert Gale Braith story, but this is what it says on her Wikipedia entry. Uh, Little Brown published The Cuckoo's Calling, the purported debut novel of Robert Gale Braith in April 2013. It initially sold 1,500 copies in hardback. After investigation prompted by discussion on Twitter, journalist Richard Brooks contacted Rowling's agent, who confirmed that Galbraith was Rowling's pseudonym. Rowling later said she enjoyed working as Robert Galbraith, a name she took from Robert F. Kennedy's personal hero, Ella Galbraith, a name she invented for herself in childhood. After the revelation, sales of Cuckoo's Calling escalated. Yeah, yeah <laughs> of course, from 1,500 copies. So, I mean, it's a good, I mean, the first one was a good, it was a good mystery. I like it. What's so interesting to me like about this is what she, she, her, she's doing what a lot of great writers do when they, when they are seeing what it, the reality is. So uh, this is, Richard Stark's story, in a sense, right? Donald Westlake's writing is Donald Westlake. Uh, he's writing as Richard Stark. Um, he later on in his career, he writes a book uh, about a guy who can't get uh, any more contracts and um, hires a uh, ghostwriter called The Hook to um, mm-hmm. help him uh, beat the system. The system being you know, book promotion industry, basically, publishing industry. Um, so she's like the number one writer in the world. She's saying, I wonder if it's me or it's my name or it's the Harry Potter thing. So she publishes a book under a fake name to see, and nobody likes it, right? It doesn't take off. And then when somebody does some investigation, maybe tipped off or whatever, um, yeah, it sells. Of course it does, because it's an, uh, by the author of... The Galbraith book would have been solid mid-list, uh, mid-list mysteries. 1,500 uh, copies mysteries, is uh, Or not even solid mid-list, if they hadn't been yeah. by Rowling. Yeah, and, of um, course. I'm not sure. I suppose, I'm pretty sure there would never have been their BBC TV adaptation. No, of course sure not. would never have been made if it hadn't, because it's just... <laughs> I mean, sometimes an obscure mystery or something gets, um, I mean, the, the, the ones, the Killing Eve TV series was based on a, I think it's a self-published series about this assassin by a guy, by a, a, which was written by a, I think he's a dance critic or theater critic at The Guardian. And he wrote these <laughs> mysteries on the side and self-published them. And then it was filmed and now suddenly he's really, really rich and famous. Wow. Uh, it happens. So this is the story of Crichton as well, because he starts off as John Lang, and then says, "You know what? This John Lang guy is doing pretty good. I should, you know, use my own name." <laughs> Actually, the funny thing about John Lang is there is a writer whose real name is John mm. Lang, but who's working under pseudonym, <laughs> and that's right. John Norman, the gore guy. Yeah. His real name is John Lang, and he's a what? he was a professor. Yes, I had no his idea. His real name John is John Lang. He's not. I... He's, John Norman is not his real name. His real name is John Lang, and he was working, and he was a professor of, I think, philosophy or something like that. That when he wrote those Gore books, the first Gore books, hmm. and uh, he's actually he's still alive. He's over ninety now, 
Now, and his real name was Lord Lang, and he wrote as Lord Norman, and uh, Michael Crichton, who probably around the same time, I mean, the Gore books, the first one came out in 1966, mm -hmm. so this would have been around the same time, that Michael Crichton starts writing under the name John Lang. Didn't um, Michael, um, not Michael, uh, Stephen King do the same thing? What was the, it was, was it the Bachman books, or was it something else? I can't remember. Um... I thought he had a synonym. I know that I there's. Think, I think Bachman was because um, he was because King was more prolific than his publishers could. Yeah, handle. that that's, that's the Donald Westlake story. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of like Shona McGuire modern today. Yeah, just so so prolific that she branches out into because the publisher and... can't take more than what they're right. taking. Yeah, the, um, some people are too prolific for the publishers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They're too prolific and, for the and, industry and, sometimes. And yet, and yet. Making a living as a writer is hard. I was reading something recently. I think it was a Twitter thread about um, John Brunner and how he was trying to write oh, novels yes. to make a living, and, that too. and he couldn't. But it, it, no matter how hard, how fast he wrote, it was just not enough to make a living. Well, that's because he was and writing was in the seventies, but he was writing in the wrong thing. That's what why Westlake well, left, right? Out writing fairly conventional stuff. So the, the, the things which won Hugo's came later. The first John I, Brunner's are oh, fairly conventional I'm just going to show you guys are wrong. Just uh, mention Brandon Sanderson. <laughs> it's clearly um, able to write a lot and make a, uh, too yeah. much of a living yeah. Yeah, yeah, but for yeah, but anybody. outliers. I mean, people like Sanderson yes. or Jake Rowling are, oh, for someone who does not write very, oh, he writes very, very long books. The shots are Martin, they're outliers. But even so, George R. R. Martin is, he's, he's mostly the TV guy, right? That's what people think of him as now. Brandon Sanderson is not a TV guy. He's only no, a book no. guy. But, and J.K. Rowling's, you know, riches are definitely from the books. But then there's the movies on top of that. Whereas Brandon Sanderson is only books, right? And that's, that's the weird part. Is like how yeah, Sanderson it, has never been filmed, except unless you count Wheel of Time. But uh, at the point no. now, there's it's still solidly Jordan. No, no, yeah, it's, it's not, not Sanderson. So uh, no, no. what's interesting is that there there is this, uh, you know, and Stephen King, you know, movies and everywhere. King also but, has a lot of movies, but he but he makes he he could live just on his books as well. Because I was at the store, the bookstore, the other day, or you know someplace where they're selling books. And there was another Stephen King there, right? I, I don't know what it was, but I saw a oh, big Stephen King font. So um, he's always on the on the stands, and he's always putting stuff out. Brandon Sanderson's barely, you know, barely started his career, it seems, and uh, is doing crazy numbers, right? So people definitely will pay you to write books, but you have to somehow... You know, be that one. And I, I'm pretty sure that Brandon, I'm not a, I've not read any of his stuff, but I'm pretty sure that his, his career, it wasn't made on the fact that, uh, he wrote the last Robert Jordan book, right? He had a career and that's what I led him to that. that. The last Robert Jordan books kicked it into overdrive. He probably I can't had, imagine it hurt. Because he had written yeah, that's my... other stuff before. I can't imagine also, it hurt tour him. Pushes him really, tour pushes Sanderson really, really heavily. Wow. Whenever you go to Torcom, you see, you reread of some Brandon Sanderson thing. I, I never read, so I don't, don't care about those. But you see him, that they push him heavily. Of course, he's also, they push him heavily because he sells. Exactly. And Stephen King is pushed because he sells. Pills. 
Yeah. And yeah. he would have had a career without the Robert Lawton book, but that kicked him into overdrive because lots of people were... I have to admit, I never, never read the Wheel of Time books. Well, it may, might it's be... when they were up for Hugo. I, I it might like, be that okay, people like, finished. They finished the Wheel of Time, and they said, this Brandon Sanderson guy did a good job. He's got a book, long book series... Uh, I can just pick up from here. That might that might be a good explanation. But the first books I think came out before he did. So did Wheel? He had had. Oh yeah, no, definitely. Wheel of Time. Yes, he had something out before Wheel of Time. A hundred percent. I was hearing about him before, and he is, I believe, one of those Salt Lake City guys as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, yes, he's from, yes, from he Utah is. somewhere. Uh, he's from Utah. Yeah, uh, and I think yeah. he actually he is now the guy who teaches the creative writing class at the Brigham Young University mm-hmm. because there's recordings of that online. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Looking, looking at his um, bibliography, so the Wheel of Time is when the um, when did the Wheel of Time actually come out? Uh, Two thousand nine is when he wrote the Gathering Storm. Before then, he had um, his Elantris. He had Elantris. He had his Miss and he had his Mistborn series, and he had Warbreaker out. Mm-hmm. He was so, not. He was not a unknown quantity. The the reason no, he was no, chosen no, no, was the, because he was a known quantity. I mean, Mistborn is probably his, I should say best. It's it's probably the one he's mined the most because he's done sequels and side things to a whole bunch of things to it. So I think that, I think Mistborn is the strength where they said, well, okay, let's make this guy be the, finish the wheel of time. And so it was, it was my, and probably he was into it as well, right? He's um, probably a um, wheel of time guy. Yes, clearly. Uh, absolutely. Um, but, because you, but you couldn't finish Wheel of Time if you hadn't read and liked the original uh, books. Yeah, pretty much, right? Difficult. And you try to make, make sense of it. But, yeah, but, looking at Mistborns, like after those... Like, but this is, this is uh, you know, if we look at, you know, there are people who tried to write and did write sequels by other hands, finishing off other authors' works, but they don't uh, have this effect where the author is still amazingly... Uh, selling afterwards, you know, people wrote uh, Douglas Adams sequels, right? <laughs> it's I think one of them was, but Tom Clancy sequels. Nix or someone, Garth Nix had a yeah. pretty, has a really good career going without the Douglas Adams sequels. Well, but you know, I'm just saying the Brandon Sanderson numbers are crazy, right? They're yeah, crazy numbers. He's a he's a phenomenon. He's a phenomenon. Yeah. He taps into a lot of. He's not my he's not my cup of tea. His his writing is my cup I, of tea. He seems to be a lovely person. His writing absolutely. He does every. I, I hate this over-systemized, systematized magic stuff. It's not the books are too. They're not absolutely yeah, not yeah, to my taste. Yeah, he, but he, uh, he has a he, he's tapped into what a lot of people want. It's mm-hmm. not what I want, but it's okay. He's tapped in, and I like him a lot more, for example, than I like James Patterson, who basically just writes outlines one, yeah. and has someone else. Uh, he's that. he's got a, he he's had a he had a big career, and then I think doesn't write his own books anymore. Right? Is he one of those guys? James yeah, Patterson think, with James he Patterson Patterson. Present, he's so a guy who's yeah. always, always, always. There's always if you go to a random airport bookshop or, or train station bookshop, there's always a Patterson book, always. Yeah, <laughs> and, I mean, if it's, and if it's a sad day, that's the best thing you can find there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, not to, not every book is for everybody, but um, I got to tell you, Michael Crichton did a great job with this book, or John Lang did. Um, it's not the perfect book because that ending doesn't doesn't fulfill the promise that it comes up with. It's almost like he said, oh, shit, I'm writing a science fiction novel. I can't go that direction. This is a thriller novel. 
right? And I, yeah, I got to fix it. it I, yeah, I got to blow things yeah. up because if I don't blow I mean, things well, up, he does. <laughs> if he if he doesn't blow things up, dot dot dot. If this goes on, dot dot dot, then it's a science fiction, right? And then that was the end of the world in a certain sense, right? Or that's how we got to here. Well, now this is how we're living in a simulation. Turns out it's not a simulation; it's a stimulation. <laughs> Stupid. I have been very impressed with these early Michael Crichton. He's books, pretty terrific. Because, huh? uh, the later ones, uh, the later ones, ones which came out were really they were like uh, probably more longer. Too big for editing everything. But these early ones are really really good. They're nice and tight. Very. Uh, this they're is nice, six hours. Thrillers, uh, nicely paranoid. They're very much period pieces, but I like this. But very this well very written too. Peaceful. Like mm-hmm. this, this character. I don't know much about him. I don't really need to. He's just delivering me the story. And I'm like, oh, this well, is yeah, perfect. But, yeah, you're, but you're not a character study sort of guy by by inclination. So That's right. I want my ideas you, injected. I don't want, want you, any impurities in there, Paul. No impurities in my straight injection into my vein of ideas. We, I mean, we learn enough about this guy. We learn, learn that he's a he's a he's a resident. He's not a doctor. He's a resident. So he's a he's a doctor. He's a resident doctor. So so doctor at the beginning of his <laughs> the career. only thing that makes me he think probably that- thinks he. We learn a bit about his friends. Uh, He's a bit of an every well, not really an every guy, but he's a bit of an every guy. Uh, not everybody what, is, of course, a medical resident, but uh, and, and dating a, actresses, yeah. So here's yeah, what I would the say: actress is an, is a, the actress. It's is an author an, insert. Also, she's put in his his way. Literally. It's an author insert, yes. except for the fact that he's not mentioned to be six foot nine, right? <laughs> he's not six foot nine. Nobody says how tall you are, sir, <laughs> our doctor. Nobody says that. Other than that, it's it's just Michael Crichton being, you know, a medical resident, right? Yeah, this uh, the medical resident stuff uh, sort of struck me as um, as sort of um, semi autobiographical because he would have he might have he would have probably been a medical resident. He was, time. yeah, absolutely. He was still trying to. He was he was uh, he wrote this book to finance medical school, so he probably was a medical resident. Yeah, I don't time. believe that. I, I believe that, that that definitely did it. But I think the reason he wrote the books is because he was a writer and couldn't yeah. help but do it. And uh, you, this is evidenced by his later writings. Was probably the fallback plan, and he probably won. I mean, he did. Um, he, did he studied a lot of stuff pretty quickly. He studied a lot of stuff. I mean, the thing is, is. Uh, Almost nobody, like almost nobody, is like Michael Crichton. Think about this: screenwriter, lots of people are that. Uh, regular writer, lots of people are that. Doctor, a lot of people are that. Film director, a lot of people are that. Put those things together, almost nobody is all of those things. Who? Occasionally, a director will write a novel. Occasionally, occasionally a. Uh, director will write a script that happens too this guy's all those things he's not a he's not a normal guy he's super weird and so when he's going to medical school i think it's because he's really interested and it sort of comes across in this book right this is very interesting uh thinking about drugs and the effects they have on people this is stuff is, is always solid with him with him because of course he is a doctor but he's also a lot of this stuff was still speculative. I mean, drugs were certainly psychoactive drugs were seen in the 60s. Oh, yeah, def- uh, definitely. But it's all, 
it's it's all uh part of this you know just general interest he's very intellectual interesting guy he's trying to think of he's trying to understand reality it seems and then yeah. and then he goes into places that people who usually do don't People usually don't. So how many movies of Stephen King's has Stephen King directed? Zero. How many will he? Probably zero. Um, has he written Wait a scripts? Did, did, did King direct Maximum Overdrive? Uh, did he? I don't know. I, uh, I have to check that. I think he did. If he did, it's not one of the great movies, is it? No, it's not. The thing is, is uh, Michael Crichton... people have Michael, all the skills. Yeah, yes, Mike, yes he, he, he wrote and directed it. Oh, well, I'm surprised. It's not very good, but, but he that tried. might explain it. Well, it's funny that he picked that one because, you know, it should be a good, easy story to do. But, you know, his, uh, his idea, I will fix, um, uh, the, st- the shining. <laughs> I will take on, I will take on, um, one of the greatest directors of all time. And yeah. improve on his work on my book. Um, the thing is, is film and books are very, very different. And the movie I'm watching, I started watching last night after watching Coma. Uh, I think it's a physical evidence starring Burt Reynolds. It is not a good movie. Michael Crichton directed it. He didn't write the script for it. He didn't write the book for it. He just directed it. Um, it's not a good movie. Uh, in the sense that, you know, it's going to be a classic for all ages. But it's entertaining and it's well put together. Um, and it's funny. And you can do that too. But he also is the guy who gave us um, some pretty amazing movies, right? And I'm not just talking the books that's scripted. The uh, Last Train Dro- uh, Great Train Robbery. That is a terrific movie. Um, funny, uh, well put together, you know, super pacey. It's, I-, I would say it's one of the best movies of the 70s. And uh, you know, we've done uh, the first Crichton book we did on this podcast. Um, what's the virus one? Uh, from a virus from space, Paul. Space virus. Um, Andromeda strain. Andromeda strain. Um, and uh, I, by the way, in my researches, um, I found out that the Terminal Man, which is one, I don't know if it's a movie, but it's definitely a book. Um, was serialized. I think it's a movie too. Was it? Yeah, I hope so. I think it is. I think I've, I've uh, because I haven't read it the book. It sounds like it is, right? Movie. The Terminal Man uh, was serialized in Playboy, uh, which makes me want to read it. And I don't remember. I don't remember if I've saw, I've seen the movie. It just sounds really familiar. Um, but if it's a, uh, let's see what it says. Second novel under his own name. Twelfth. Uh, takes place between 1971. Yeah, it looks like it's a sort of about, um, about, uh, electronics, which is something he deals with in a few other things. But man, we know these, he's, if, if he wrote nothing else, the Andromeda strain would stand on its own, you know, as a great book. People would say, yeah, that Andromeda strain, wish that guy had written more. This is not on that level, but it's, it's pretty good. And, and it, that Andromeda strain is sort of the same thing. Let's blow it all up at the end. Sort of the solution. But 
I was very shocked to see that this was basically a science fiction novel. It doesn't feel like a science fiction novel. It feels more like no. a techno thriller. Yeah, and the, not, the way it ends not is not a science as a science fiction novel. I no, mean, it's, it's not. A hard case crime sometimes ventures into science fiction, but uh, it is a very. Um, I mean, I, I actually picked this up randomly from a shelf from a shelf in a bookstore mm-hmm. because I like the hard case crime books, and I said like, oh, that's a hard case crime book, great mm-hmm. cover. Oh, it's Michael Crichton. Mm-hmm. I didn't know he he wrote under pen name. Let's buy this one. This is how I came to how this one came to be in my possession. Uh, what what the cover on the hard case crime is? Uh, Lady on fire? Is that? Yeah, what it is? it's an attractive woman on fire. <laughs> does that happen in the book? It does. Uh, I suppose it's supposed to. Um, She's hot. Uh, illustrate the drug. <laughs> She's a starlet. It's supposed to illustrate Sharon Wilder or yeah. one of the other women on the drug. I think you're right. Or maybe it's a glow girl, but the glow girl is wearing yeah. one of these, uh, which are an actual thing, these plastic uh, dresses were an actual thing in the 1960s. There was a lot they more were. women in this one than in Pursuit, huh? Mm-hmm. Oh, was Pursuit the name of the uh, last one we did? Oh, Binary. 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 The movie binary. was Pursuit. That's yeah. right. <laughs> of course, in Binary, there was no, there was a naked lady on the cover, but there was no, yeah. and two, two gas tanks. There were gas uh, tanks in the book, but there yeah. was no naked lady. <laughs> but, uh, at least, at least this one has multiple women in it. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, I thought, I thought, you know, I was thinking, there's nothing to cancel in here. It's, it's so t- modern. <laughs> to cancel. Like, Jesse. no, seriously. Think about it. There's nothing, like, it, it doesn't say the casting couch is good, right? It says it, it exists. I'm acknowledging it. Um, that's not the focus of the book. Um, in fact, it's saying everybody's going to be now subject to the casting couch, right? By this new drug, which is really interesting. It's almost I like mean, Hollywood is a drug. And then this is extending that drug beyond to everybody. So everybody can go on virtual vacations and then turn out that they're working for an evil corporation. Um, it just doesn't go that extra step and says, uh, you know, th- the people at the top are also taking this drug and there actually are no people at the top. We're all working for the drug, yeah, which is actually, uh, by the Dick. way, yeah, that is the Philip. That's the ending. Uh, that would have been Philip K. Dick. But this no, is that is the ending so of Scanner Darkly, right? Scanner Darkly yeah. at the end. Paul, you remember this. At the mm-hmm. end, they they're propagating the the plant that makes the drug that's the <laughs> they all end up working for the plant yeah yeah the, the, yeah, the, the company that's supposedly getting people off the drug is actually making the drug yep but also the plant it, it's supposed that the plant is the propagating itself through people oh so that's right yes yes you're absolutely it's right. taking yes. that extra step which is a very very awesome philip k dick move which makes that book you know stand above this one and not you know Miles above, but definitely above this one, even though this is a very slick, fun book. So, definitely, uh, I'm loving this Michael Crichton kick we're on, because, uh. Yeah, thanks, Cora. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think I was the one who actually kicked this off, but yes. You did. So I'm really, yeah, yes, because I, I found this random hard case crime book in a, it's actually an outlet. It's a sort of outlet bookstore. It's a Weltbild bookstore. It's a sort of out, no, actually, Weltbild is a publisher, and, but, uh, but they have, but the English language books actually sort of like, okay, what, what we couldn't sell elsewhere. And this is where I found it in yeah, all clearance. the Oh, so, yeah. Good thing. Next time I'm at this bookstore, I will tell them like, okay, yeah, your book actually, I bought a book here, which uh, brought about a couple of podcasts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> awesome. 
Yeah, but I think this is, in one way, this is a very 60s, it's very, very 1960s book. It's very, it's very 1960s, but it's also very modern. It, uh, if you so change the details a bit, it could have be very, because I mean, the drugs, uh, the, the, but then a lot of the things we had in the 60s, we still, drugs are a lot more refined now, and it's no longer as illegal. You the prescription. most, you are, we still have manufactured pop stars and film stars oh, yeah. as we had, because that's another thing, actually. Um, yeah, mentioned back, the Beatles, I read an yeah, article, which was ha- probably half conspiracy theory, but some of it was interesting that a lot of these nineteen, all of these nineteen sixties uh, pop stars and film stars, they all lived in the Hollywood Hills and they all knew each other. Heinlein lived there as well, and the military was also really big because they had a lookout point or something like that. And a lot of these nineteen uh, sixties pop stars, which I didn't know, they were also fake. They were as fake as the monkeys weren't the only ones who were fake. <laughs> who were fake. A lot, most of these, they're not playing them. And this actually was sort of, it was almost a vindication from uh, in the American pop stars of the 1960s. The British ones, I think, were, were the real deal, the Beatles and so on. But, uh, but the American ones, a lot of them were, what you hear is uh, studio musicians and the people are just there to look look right. They're no, no more real. They're, they're, about, they're casted like the monkeys. And like mm-hmm. this local person is casted. casted. Uh, and the... uh, this was a bit of a vindication for me because um, when I was uh, was a kid in the 80s, uh, the teachers were said like, oh, all of your music is all fake and those people can't really sing. But the 60s, that was the real music. And now I was like, yeah, the 60s. They were just as fake as our music, <laughs> sorry. Well, there's probably more faking going on now, but... Um... Uh, I mean, we know how these, these people are casted, but uh, and they were casted, but they were casted together to look right in the 60s as well. Mm. It was not, it was I'll no tell more, you the thing uh, that makes it the most 60s is not, is not the music. The thing that makes it least 2020s is he goes mm-hmm. to a travel agency. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's really, the thing that makes it an old book. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's the real. That's the thing that dated the most. The travel. So yeah, still are travel agencies. There yeah, are as many they, as they, they used they, to be, but there still are travel agencies. There, there still are. are people who go to them, I, especially for um, third third world and immigrant communities. There, I you, you see you see them in uh in, in those sorts of uh, areas in like St. Paul but that's yeah, so here that, too sometimes in the Turkish areas you have right, the Turkish right, but you also have travel agencies cater to old people who are not good at using yeah, the internet yeah. right. they cater to older people who don't use the internet yeah. which is why, they, why you still get those cruises and so on are still offered by travel agencies mm-hmm. yep it's a good book I liked it I want to do another Let's do it. Yeah, we're doing uh, another. We mm-hmm. doing, uh, we're doing Easy Go. In a few easy I'm Go, exactly. <laughs> I want to book more. <laughs> They're good. I'm really yeah, enjoying well, these. I think most of them are difficult to get. Easy Go was, I think, the only one I could I could get. The remaining, I think it's four are probably, yes, seven of them. And we did, we have three. And I think the remaining four might be out of print or at least difficult to find. I will get the audio book. Don't you worry. <laughs> Just he has his ways. Yeah, and um, I, I want to look into that Terminal Man thing. Oh, yeah, it says there's a 1974 movie. George Segal. Yeah, okay, maybe oh, I've yeah, seen Oh, yeah, that it. takes you back. <laughs> there's That's a 70s the, actor. I'm pretty sure I've seen this that was a movie because I'm, I haven't read the book. Mike Hodges the directed name, it. I don't yeah, know but the is. name rings a bell, so I've probably seen the movie. Yeah, it sounds like a movie I've seen. It's funny, I don't remember it. 
Uh, here's the description. Hoping to cure his violent seizures, a man agrees to a series of experimental microcomputers inserted into his brain, but inadvertently discovers that violence now triggers a pleasurable response. That sounds good. <laughs> um, that that happens in this, right? They put some wires on his head to monitor yeah. his thoughts and then give him zaps. Yeah. Oh, um, the other thing, um, I heard something really interesting the other day. Um, uh, I guess, yeah, it's, it's, uh, on the Lack podcast, which normally they focus on, uh, movies. They started talking about a Anthony Burgess novel I'd never heard of called The Wanting Seed. Have you guys heard of this book? No. Um, I'm pretty sure that's the title. Wanting Seed. So apparently it came out the year before or so, um, and Burgess was really, uh, he hated, uh, that everybody loved his Clockwork Orange. Um, he said, I did that one for money and they misunderstand me and they saw the movie. <laughs> um, uh, and, uh, yeah, of course, the movie has a different ending than the book. Uh, the, I think the, it's only the British version of the book, which has a somewhat, which has a, a happier ending, or if you want to call it a happier ending. <laughs> So the the wanting seed sound like uh, a super science fictiony book. Um, uh, it says, "See also Brave New World" and Malthusianism. Um, so uh, th- what I gathered from the plot is uh, there's a uh, world's overpopulated as usual. The government is it's um, the 60s. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we're, we're we're terrified of overpopulation. That's right, but it's a nice short book, 285 pages, um, and he. Uh, it, it, he posits the government um, uh, will do anything to uh, make people not overpopulate the earth. So they're encouraging homosexuality. Um, and one of the characters uh, is married. And uh, when his boss finds out uh, that he's secretly heterosexual, he like doesn't get the promotion. It's not illegal to be heterosexual. It's just, you know, not encouraged. And uh, when they push uh, homosexuality a lot, um, it's still not reducing the population enough, so the government decides to start wars, um, and uh, that allows them to kill off the excess population. Uh, But, uh, you know, the reason is, of course, they're running out of food, but that's okay. The wars will provide the food because uh, all the dead bodies and mangled people coming back uh, provide canned food for the remaining population. So it's a very uh, angry, um, scary-sounding book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've read uh, Clockwork Orange a long time ago, and I found it to be very different from the movie. Um, so I wanted to know, yeah, like, why, why, why haven't we heard of anything by Anthony Burgess except for a Clockwork Orange? Why um, is that? Is it, we is have heard of, of there's one which is, uh, there's another one, I think. Or am I getting him mixed up? Which is fairly what else, well what else known. Did he write? Oh, no, no. Who I think? Where's this? Do you have a list here, something? Here's a list. One thing, see, two. Yeah, I, yeah, I got to look at my list of. Yeah, see what, no, I, I probably no. I, I had him mixed up with someone else. Sorry, I must have so, had him mixed up with someone uh, else. It I, shows. I, it shows he's got uh, like a double handful of novels: Devil of a Slate, uh, Devil of a State, nineteen sixty one. One Hand Clapping, 1961, The Wanting mm-hmm. Scene, 62, The Eve of St. Venus, 1964, A Long Trip to Tea Time, 1976, 
Beards, Roman Women, 1976, 1985, 1978, uh, The End of the World News, 1982, The King of the Wicked, 1985, Any Old Iron, 1989, and in 2018, Puma. So, obviously, only one of these, uh, actually, that doesn't even include, uh, Clockwork Orange, uh, which is interesting, right? Huh. Uh, is it not a novel? It, it is short, I remember. What? That's a I novel. I think it is. Yeah, a, it's a novel. It might be a very, it's a short, it might be a very short novel. It's a novel. It's, a novel. it's 192 yeah. pages. Yeah, it's a short novel. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's funny, cause I, I, it's hard to, yeah, it's, it's amazing. I just see that he really had an amazing life and he, he was all over, he, he was all over the world because his parents were, the colonial term. He was a he was a musician and everything. He probably had a really fascinating life. I never knew it. I basically know him as the guy who wrote Clockwork Orange. That's the only thing I knew about him, yeah. and that can't be. That couldn't. So why is he like? Uh, they're saying like he was uh, super conservative uh, in a very strange way, um, anarchist conservative or something like that. I'm like, what? <laughs> So uh, he's British. You have some really weird conservatives. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You get, get yeah, some weird responses. Some, some of the conservatives are really, really weird. Uh, oh yeah, the 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 um the other thing I know Anthony Burch is from is he did some of the language for Quest for Fire. Quest for Fire. Okay. Yes, I gotta run to the bathroom, guys. I'll be right back. No worries. Yeah. Quest for Fire was a good movie. Yeah, it was. Wasn't that based on a book? Be- I don't know, actually. Quest for Fire. That's uh, early 80s or late 70s? Quest for Fire, 81. I think it's early 80s. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's based on uh, H.J.H. Uh, Rosny. Oh, yeah, by a uh, French author. Oh, yes. Yeah, that must author. be a really old book. Yeah, 1911, Belgian fantasy. A director. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I, rem- I remember the movie being pretty good. Um, uh, I've seen that a long, long time ago. Uh, the prehistorical is- science fiction genre is sort of dead now, but it was really big in the early 20th century. Yeah, but it lasted well into the 1980s. Oh, I mean, definitely. these, uh, yeah, Zinem Owl books, they came out and they're from the 1980s, uh, I think. And there's still and some. And I read them at the time. <laughs> there was a, a, a movie called Year Zero or something relatively recently that was a comedy that was one of these. Uh, yeah, throwbacks. But it's, uh, it's gone. This, I mean, it was a huge thing. I mean, Robert E. Howard got his start writing prehistoric yeah, Spear and Fang. For, for, weird, for weird tales. Yeah, definitely. It was Spear a huge and Fang, thing. which is uh, still a which you probably have on your page somewhere yeah. because it's still uh, very yeah, available. It. It's okay. It's not amazing. Yeah, but, I mean, he was like 16 or 17 yeah, when he wrote he was that, a so kid. take it into account. But yeah, it was this prehistoric stuff was really, really big, and it, for some reason, it was always accepted as part of the science fiction fantasy genres. But it's largely, wait a minute, I think I think uh, DMR books uh, published some of these prehistoric fantasy things, a mix of old and new. They have an anthology. I guess. I, I guess. Um, but DMR, of course, is uh, also DMR is very niche. They, they do good stuff, but they're very, very niche. They're it's what? Not something you'd find. They're what? Sorry. You're saying they are something? DMR is something? They're very, they're very, they're very niche publisher, DMR. They do, niche? they have their niche, they, yeah, so. Oh, okay. 
They um, have their, their, they have their, their, their thing. They do, they do a lot of. Uh, did you of uh, read the Robert J. Sawyer? Uh, uh, what are they? Neanderthal books? Or no, uh, I didn't. Yeah, because he he was uh, he was interested in paleontology, and uh, so he sort of do- sort of does that. And it's from another dimension where where Neanderthals uh, survived and regular Homo sapiens didn't. Oh, you're talking about Robert Sawyer. Yeah, because because or... Quest for Fire led us to prehistorical science fictions. I mean, oh. there's a TV, there's an animated TV show, Primal, which is basically uh, oh. the sort of prehistoric adventure by the guy who. What's this? Lendy Tartakovsky, whatever his name. Tarkovsky, I, I forget his name. He does. Uh, I hear it's he did uh, a lot of, very uh, Robert E. Howard. Yeah. yeah, and it's yes, it's it's very. It feels like a like very much ah, Robert E. Howard. First episode's called Spear Cain and Fang. And his his pet dinosaur. Yeah. He writes a dinosaur. Of course, it's completely ridiculous because of course they didn't write dinosaurs, but it's also very very cool. <laughs> Although I just saw a. It's um, doing quite well actually, and it's it's modern. I think the second season just dropped. I saw a tweet this morning that um, uh, it was a giant uh, horned creature, you know, in some museum, and and the tweet was uh, uh, went extinct ten thousand years ago, and I'm like. Always the passive voice. <laughs> what they really mean is, we ate them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what happened? Everywhere humans go, all the large cr- creatures go extinct. I can't understand. Well, I, 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 can't Who killed all the dinosaurs. large creatures? You can't blame us for the dinosaurs. They went extinct before we got here. Uh, yeah, I. Uh, it was probably one of our ancestors who did it, though. Yeah, but. Uh, our ancestors didn't throw a didn't throw a meter. We didn't throw an asteroid. At well, <laughs> we did throw an asteroid at the Yucatan. Peninsula. It takes a long time for that to happen, though. So uh, I think we probably had something to do with uh, then, it. That, that yeah. reminds me of Earthshock. Who that by? episode? Oh, where where basically it turns out that Adric killed the dinosaurs because he was on a spaceship. Oh yeah. he could stop. Oh my God! Does, yes. Doesn't that he die in that episode? <laughs> Somebody yes, dies. Died. Somebody it died in that episode. It was humans. It was Adric. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Um, I I I kind of get what they did. Were doing with Adric the same thing they're trying to do with Wesley Crusher in the Next Generation, and neither worked. Sadly and tragically. Yeah. But I mean, nowadays we are. When Wesley Crusher showed up at the end of Picard as a watcher, or whatever they're called. Yeah. They're called in Star Trek. Traveler. Star Trek. I was actually like seeing. Wow, it's Wesley! I just said, "Oh my God, I'm clearing for Wesley Crusher." When I was uh, <laughs> when I was fourteen, I, I would have I would have cleared it. I was always when they were trying to kill Wesley, like, "Oh, please kill him this time!" <laughs> <laughs> but of course, I mean, we all know Will Wheaton is a really cool guy now. He, now, yeah, that's so that's what changed a lot of the view of Wesley because it's Wesley is still annoying, is still a pain in the butt, but my but, uh, but the actor is cool. I think it was but just bad writing. Just bad writing. They also, didn't know what to do with the it, kid. It, 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 it was bad writing. Like, Wesley saves the Enterprise again, got really <laughs> old. Fast. Yeah, and also, um, just having a genius kid on a ship is not a good idea. Yeah, these, terrible. Uh, comic relief kid characters rarely, rarely. Uh, a lot of these, uh, a lot of cartoons in the 1980s also had this 
comic relief character who was a sort of kid insert. They weren't always a kid. Cora, when are you going to write up the giant essay on Sequest DSV? Because I haven't rewatched that show and I I expect it to be terrible. I've seen that one in literally ages. Yeah, nobody talks about it it anymore. Nobody's trying to reboot it. it. My, 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 My friend Sean likes it a lot. You know Sean. Sean Duke likes it. Yeah, he blocked me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I know. He doesn't like you. (laughs) Um, But why why is no one trying to reboot Sequest? Um, Because it was 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 itself a reboot, right? Yeah, it was Irving Irving Allen. Irving Allen, exactly. Irving Allen. Yeah. It was was it called Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea or whatever that one was called. Yeah. Um which uh I think it's because submarines and undersea stuff simply isn't considered cool anymore. No, it's not. Submarines are awesome. It's not. I mean, it was really cool for a while, but it's uh, and uh, Sequest was at the end of that set. Submarines are cool period. Submarines are cool period is uh, a lot earlier. Mm. It's in the 1940s, 50s and so on. And even well I mean, there actually were a lot. There actually were a lot of. There still are a lot of submarine. There were a lot of submarine adventure and warfare novels and so on, so mm-hmm. on, from by, written by German authors, pulp magazines and so on. Uh, there was a whole pulp series of a guy, guy who had uh, who had adventures on submarine. Is so this Hunt for Red October the last of those then? I think hmm. it's. Uh, I mean, Hunt for Red October. Uh, this boat is, but this boat is of course also. Uh, but Hunt for Red October came later, yes. It came after the Dust Board. It came in the late 80s. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, I think that's I think the it's end of that. Probably one of the, the, last, the last ones, Hunt for Red October. No, there's been tons oh, of... Oh, oh, no, tons there were other wait, movies afterwards, wait. but uh, they, the other movies that came afterwards were either Hunt for Red October or Dust Board Redone. No, no, oh, there's oh. lots of other ones. There's, there, there was a Black Sea one called Black Sea, uh, where that, that was... Relative. There's tons of submarine movies. They, they never well, really the, 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 go away. They're always under the surface. Movies, of course, are also <laughs> fairly easy to do. You don't need a lot of sets. You need uh, a submarine. Yeah, there, 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 there was there was the recent Doctor Who episode set on a Cold War submarine, which had the uh, Ice Warrior in it. So yeah, I but but still not. It doesn't have the. For me, it's um, Dust Bo- uh, after Dust Boat. I don't want to see any other. <laughs> Dust Boat. Kind of like ever. the last word. It's the yes. best one. The, the original boat is, is simply so good. No other. Nothing else can ever compare. Not even Hunt for the Hunt for Red okay. October movie, which was pretty good. I didn't. Okay. I guess I didn't stick around for it, or maybe I just don't remember it. But uh, I remember the show started off with. Um, who is the uh, main actor? He used to be uh, Roy uh, Scheider. Roy Schneider. Roy Schneider, yeah. Who is so a very who was in terrific. Jaws. Yeah, but he was he was in a lot of terrific movies, like Blue Thunder and a whole bunch of other movies. Yeah, he um, was uh, great. Big in in the thriller sort of genre, yeah. type mm-hmm. movies. Uh, but uh, get this, Paul. Season three, yeah. Michael Ironside takes the lead. Michael yeah, Ironside. I remember that, that Michael Ironside was in it. And for once, he, Michael Ironside is usually a villain, but for what was this and uh, V was the only ones where he wasn't a villain, I think. Uh, he wasn't a villain in V? Are you sure? Uh, no, I don't remember, but he always he plays a, a villain. Guy. He was one yeah, of he the was, rebels. Yeah, awesome. He was. he was one of the rebels. His name is a character was Kale called Ham Tyler. This was my first encounter with Michael Ironside. He wow, was my first was encounter with Michael Ironside and Robert Eglin. Which is why all the, the rest of their career always feels like off because to me they were good guys. <laughs> and apparently it says here, um, 
the alternative choice for the lead uh, in season three was Jonathan Banks. You guys know who he is? No, it doesn't have to look him up. He is the heavy from Better Call Saul and uh, the previous show. It's called um, Um, Breaking Bad. He's the hitman sort of character, the bald guy. Um, I've seen the. I've seen. He always plays definitely. baddies he's too. He's always one of those guys who also always plays villains. I haven't really seen a lot of. I've he's seen terrific. barely any Breaking Bad and no Better Call Saul. Oh, you are so lucky! You get to have both <laughs> in your life ahead of you. Although you know, Better Call Saul is a much like, better show. Uh, I don't like stuff which glorifies drug dealers, and I don't like mob movies very much, which is why I mostly avoid those. I'm. <laughs> not really about drug dealing it's it's about breaking bad <laughs> it's about people it's about capitalism and people trying to find uh find their place in it it's it's very very interesting speaking, speaking of place guys i've got to go because it's now to my time my place to be a gm so oh yeah right. there's a, so, a so waiting have for fun me paul have fun paul take yeah, care everybody fun. This is a great Bye, podcast. Bye, and uh, I'll see you around. I'll, I'll you probably later. definitely see, see you virtually at the Virtual World Con. Sounds World good. Con. Indeed. Take care, Cora. Take care, Jesse. Take Thanks. care, Paul. You too. All right. On that note, I think I'm going to go make some coffee. Yeah, I'm probably also going to sign off. It's uh, 7, uh, it's 7 p.m. here, so I'm going to have some dinner. I still have some tea here, but I'm going to have dinner now. What kind of tea you drink? Right. The bread should be finished by now. What kind of tea do you drink? Uh, right now it's black. No, but I also, what, what, what blend? Um, it's a Cylon. It's a black Cylon tea. Okay. It's a it's it's also from Sri Lanka. It's a black Cylon tea, and it's I don't really like the East Frisian blend, which is quite common in Germany because it's uh, which is more Assam, so it's mostly. I'm a big this fan is of some Earl kind, Grey. I think it's called some kind Not of, just because of card. Uh, Earl Grey's, it, it's Earl Grey is Earl really Grey good. Is, Earl Grey is, um, it's aromatized. It's with uh, bergamot. Mm. I like Earl Grey too on occasion, but right now it's just, it's just plain black tea. I'll allow it. Thank you. Yeah, it was lovely chatting to you. And uh, I think we'll be up next week for uh, the, the Robert E. Howard, aren't we? I believe we have a show next week. Let me look. Yeah. Um, I thought I sent something but uh oh no it's not next week that's two weeks from now Prince Albrecht ah, and the Snake weeks. Lady okay, is next right. yeah then I don't have to do uh, it's just uh, okay but it's, that's, uh, that weekend is fine just the Worldcon weekend is uh, difficult because uh, I have a bunch because I have a bunch of panel programming and paneling and everything and the one afterwards uh, wouldn't be difficult except that I have the high school reunion which would uh, which would clash with the podcast recording no worries. Thank you. Yeah, it was lovely talking to you, mm-hmm. and yeah, we'll see you also for the Robert E. Howard, and then yep. for the next. And I'll see if I can can dig up more of these early Michael Crichton hard case Definitely. crime books. Definitely, they're worth getting. I'm going to yeah, uh, really, see you really on Twitter, good. and I'll be tweeting. Yeah, be tweeting. seeing you, you. Also, um, I think Connor is, is doing fine in Castle. I've been chatting oh, with him a bit good, on good. the topic. Yeah, it, it sounds like he's settling in, sort of. He seems to be happy, yeah. I told him how to get a, get a cheap train, tra- train ticket. There we go. Ticket. Because I have a special program right now for cheap train t- tickets, and I told him what he needs to do to get one. He definitely <laughs> needs that. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. Bye, Bye-bye. Jesse. Peace Bye. to you.
Bye, Cora. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio. desk so are those are are they clerks or are they tellers i don't know what they are they're clerks all right so you know goblin clerks can happen were they goblins too they were goblins okay uh what's the bank with the gnomes i guess that's um an audio drama i i think yeah yeah um so there was some uh uh, shenanigans? No, that's not the right word. Um, uh, non-criminal, but definitely, uh, um, negative experiences by somebody at Gen Con with their roommate or something. Yes. That was pretty horrible. That was that 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 was a pretty terrible. Yes. Was that uh, roommate thing because they were sharing expenses, or was it? I'm just... not entirely sure of the okay. entire story. Yeah. How big is Gen Con? Because I've only ever been to a World Con. Gen Con this year was fifty five thousand people. That seems like a lot. How how big is uh, World Con? World, world Six thousand. The 000? largest. Not as big. <laughs> oh, the hey, largest World Con I've been to was, and Cora was there. Hi, Cora. Was hi. Helsinki. I'm, that I'm was Paul, like. Hi, Jesse. Sorry, I'm, like, a, I'm a bit late, but um, <laughs> I was over at my parents' and then a neighbor dropped by, and I had to dodge. They're like, I really have to go now. I have to do a podcast. <laughs> Push her to the ground and tell her, I'm busy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't no, bug me. Very, she's very, very nice. Rosie, she's a retired nurse, and she's very nice, and <laughs> since my mom isn't uh, well. After yes, Helsinki, put, I think, was the biggest world. After you, that was like 10,000. After you push yes, her to the Helsinki ground, you give her a biggest. pillow. Okay. 10,000? Okay, so... Yeah. Not as se- big as Gen Con. Gen so Con Gen Con is, is like five Gen times Con as Gen big. Gen Con are apparently bigger. Yeah, Gen Con, Gen Con is so big that it not only does not fit in the Indiana Convention Center, they spill over into hotels and even the football stadium. So this this confirms Everybody my... Everybody was at Gen Con last weekend, it seemed. <laughs> <laughs> My idea that uh, people don't like reading, they much prefer to do something else. Because Worldcon, uh, the one of the reasons I wanted to go to it was I was like, Scott, are you are you sure that this is about like the fiction and not like something else? Because I'm not sure I want to go to just you know see a bunch of people dressing up in costumes or whatever. And he said, No, no, this is the this is the reading one. <laughs> and I was, okay, the reading one. <laughs> So, and I was yeah. surprised how small it was. There are cosplayers, but not nearly yeah, as many yeah. as adults. Cosplayers got I mean, I'm cosplay, also, but... I prefer the, the, I prefer the, I don't mind gaming and cosplaying and everything. Yeah, it's fine. It's just, you know, you want to go for the real book experience, you go to the book experience. Yeah, yeah. Also, um, there are not a lot. None of, most of these really big cons are in the US. We don't have a lot of that. We have a, there are some in Germany, but most of them are specialized. You have a Perry Roden con, you have a <laughs> Star Trek cons, and so on. And uh, Luke's always going to the European Juggling Convention, and that seems to be well attended. 
Yeah, of course. We have game. I mean, okay, there's also all sorts of local things. I've, if there's something local, I usually go. Go even. I was at the local steampunk convention, and we steampunk. have a regular gaming con. I'm not a gamer, but um, once it's on again after COVID, it's hopefully on again this year. Then I'll go simply because hey, it's ten kilometers away. Oh, that's not, not so bad. Go? Yeah, how can you I not go? Walk that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I could uh, go I home could every night. I, I, I haven't tried walking that, but I could bike. I could bike there. Yeah, yeah. No, ten kilometers is a bit of a walk, but definitely yeah, it's rideable. Small. You can do it, but it's too. It's very far. You can it, do it. It would take some time, Paul. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it would take. Time. But, you know, I, I walked all over Indianapolis, so you know, I'm, I might be an outlier in this regard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, of bikes, uh, you have to see. You have to consider it you, is. Paul. This is a small rural city. You can't. Uh, and uh, you don't really have, um, and in between there's, uh, there's a couple between here and there, there are a few villages. Of course, you can walk in the villages, but um, there are country roads, and those are not not ideal for walking. You can bike there, and I have biked there, there but <laughs> otherwise I just take the car. Well, um, I want to update everybody on uh, upcoming things because... Uh, the Heads of Cerberus is now done. It's not dated, but uh, Paul signed up for that. That's the Francis Stevens that was on LibriVox, going to be done at the end of July, and it was done by the end of July. That has not been scheduled. Um, there is another one that is not on the schedule, which I'm going to add, that has not been scheduled yet, but uh, Will wants to do it, and I'm like, definitely. Um, uh, that was... Um, an audiobook of uh, Black Priestess of Varda, I believe it is, which is a cover story from uh, Planet Stories that I happened to discover was done as an audiobook by some obscure narrator uh, who also did a bunch of other stuff, but it's not on Audible or Downpour. It was on some other website. I think it was Audiobooks Now, which is some, you know, third string. Um, audiobook company that there are many many mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. um but uh i i bought it and uh it's like three and a, three and a half hours something like that so i'm um, gonna definitely want to do that one because it's it's a great cover <laughs> awesome. mm-hmm. um eric fennel who is okay never not, heard of him yeah but, not uh, famous is usually always well worth reading well it's a it's a cover story and uh yeah, and it's, it's a cover story um and Alan Anderson book. cover, um, so it's gorgeous. Yeah, they're usually good. They're usually good. Yeah. The covers are great, and uh, also, yeah. I've, like I said, I've re- re- hardly ever seen a bad Planet Stories. I can't actually find this one on the schedule There's, anywhere. No, no, <laughs> it's not on the schedule, so I'm just about ah. to put it on. I'm going to send by a direct message, or not direct message, in the chat, I'm going to just send the link to the mm-hmm. ISFDB so you can see the amazing cover, Paul. Okay. Um, yeah. It's got a lady, presumably the black priestess, uh, with a whip. And there's a whip, there's a way, and a, and a or creature a cat with of, bumps on it, yeah. carrying a laser gun. But no, she's oh, also, yes, I know that one. It's I a great cover. cover. And she's got a familiar a on her shoulder cover. there. Um, mm-hmm. On the interior art, the familiar appears, so we get a little space creature. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then in the background, as is only appropriate, is a dude with a sword. Yeah, of course. We have, the, have, the, to be a sword, we have the lady with the, the lady on with planet the whip. stories. 
always have to have a dude with a sword somewhere on the cover. And we have these bump-covered bump guys who yeah. remind me a bit of a... They, they look like there was a Masters of the Universe figure which looked like that. Uh, of look course like it that. does. Only spikes. Of course it reminds <laughs> you of I that. I mean, they all look as if they, they just escaped from Vintage Planet Store's cover, so that's not... Uh, I can't believe how many uh, figures you've gotten. You got, like, a plant guy the other day, and I'm like, they had a plant guy? <laughs> they had a lot. I think they, they made, I think they had 86 figures. Wow. In the wow, I, wow. I never did that. that so many. That's crazy. I didn't. I don't remember half of the old Must ones. Must have been but huge. I have, but I have a whole bunch, and um, I have a castle grayscale, and soon I'll have a really nice display. I'm just waiting basically for the carpenter to come back from holiday and uh, and uh, cover up, um, which is in the 70s. I thought it was really cool to insert a trow for plants into a windowsill. Sill, and now this bloody and um, and um, now I want this stupid trow pl- covered up because. Um, it doesn't work anymore. The plants die if you plant if you put them in there, in there because uh, metal because stuff from the metal of the trow um, or paint or something leaks into the soil and you can't replace the soil because no one in seventy thought you might want to replace the soil eventually. So mm. I'm going to have it covered up and then it will be an awesome display. I wanted to just uh, take a moment to tell you um, the brethren that episode it came out and. Um, your microphone today is much better. Your audio yeah. is like now way I have better. The, the blue. No, I have the blue. Yeah, it's much, blue. much, much better. Also, than before what we that, had. I had a, during the Breslin, I still had the old microphone. Yep. I, th- yep. I, I don't know if that was the first one. Oh, we're getting some echo though. Uh, is everybody uh, wearing headphones plugged into their microphones? I am. I can't wear headphones because uh, they cause me pain. What about earbuds? Yeah, I can't. I have massive problems with headphones. Sorry if I'm causing the echo. I will simply mute if I'm. <laughs> no, we we no, will find a talking. solution. We will find a solution. Um, so uh, headphones over ear or on ear are both equally difficult. Yeah, it's always. Um, I think it's. I have a wide head circumference, and uh, yeah, I I, always get, I have a similar huge, problem. It's a huge issue. Any sort of. Headphones, earphones, uh, earphones, even things like uh, fixed headbands and, and so on are very difficult. What about difficult. bone conduction? Um, that I will have to check if that works. Yeah, so um, I have that. I don't use it for podcasting, uh, but uh, I don't know that they're available uh, to plug in, but I use bone conduction headphones for uh, my all-non- uh, podcasting purposes and they're really great. They they don't go mm-hmm. in your ears; they go in front of your ears, and they work amazingly. Yeah, I'll have to I have to see if some if I can test them somewhere. And, um, because um, yeah. I'm not your Best Buy or whatever will probably have a pair, but yeah. Um, yeah, I will I will see if I have you can if Conrad or Media Markt or whatever probably has something. Yeah, they're they're a new thing. I saw a guy the other day was wearing the exact same pair as I have, and I was like, "Hey, we're twins!" And we both agreed that they were wonderful. Um, people are getting into them. It's a, uh, it's like uh, you know, when iPods came in or something. <laughs> people get excited about the technology. So uh, yeah, I'll just try not be so excitable, and then uh, hopefully we won't get any echo because we're not getting anything. Right now, um, oh, and I'm going to add to the bottom of the list um, black 
Priestess Averna. Is it the Black mm-hmm. Priestess or just Black Priestess? I, I think, think it was just Black Priestess. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Avarda by yeah, Black Eric Priestess. Fennel. Um, one L and Fennel. And then I assume, Paul, you want to be on that one, right? I do, yes. All uh, right. And Cora, I assume? Yeah. Okay. Added. So that is not dated, but... um. I figure it could go right after uh, Badge of Infamy there. October. Uh, oh yeah, let me just check. October, October should be fine because um, ninth. The first be. two September weekends are difficult. The first one is Worldcon weekend. The second one, I have my thirty-year high school reunion. So. <laughs> All right. So how about I plop it in there uh, on the tenth? Ah, uh, the ninth. Ten slash oh I'm getting that echo. Oh nine slash twenty twenty two. Yes. <clears throat> All right. And eight AM Pacific. Alright. I so it's uh four for you, Cora, is that right? Or five? Yeah, it's five. Five, yeah. Well, when does when does daylight saving time end in Germany? I don't think they do it. I think that we, you do daylight saving time, don't you? Oh don't yes, you? Uh, we have um, daylight saving, but it goes until late October. They, they oh, only okay. Saving, so which is stupid because by late October, it's no, you don't need it anymore. Anymore. Yeah, yeah uh, we, we do it in November, which makes no sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I we are actually. Um, the EU had uh, held a sort of poll and uh, sort of open poll poll, poll about uh, whether to about about to abolish daylight savings time. And I think 80% of the people who took part, and many of them were Germans. Of course, there's also a lot more of us, for example, than there are Dutch people also, <laughs> or Lux- Lux- people from Luxembourg or whatever. But um, Eighty percent of the people who took part, part voted that yeah, said yes, we should abolish daylight saving time. So there was millions of people who took part in this, this poll, and the EU then said yeah, EU Parliament then said yeah, I guess we'll have to abolish this if people don't want it anymore. And what happened? Nothing. Nothing. This yeah. poll was like five years ago. Mm-hmm. Right now it's oh, but it's so difficult. We have to decide whether to go to, to permanent winter or permanent summertime. Is it like, go to the regular time. That's the best time. <laughs> permanent summertime is terrible. Don't have permanent daylight savings time because that means that, that it, and then people are really like, oh, but it's so nice if it's, if it's, uh, if it's uh, light in the evening, yes. But in, in the winter, it's not at all nice if children have to go to, to go to school in the dark. Oh, but it's on the winter. You can start school later. Yeah, you want to start school at ten at ten a.m. because that's when it's going to be. Why don't we just have one time for the entire planet? Uh, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be averse to that, but I uh, guess the rest of the planet would be. Why? We'll just get used <laughs> uh, to it very know. quickly. I, mean, it's, uh, I don't really really care about. It. It's like oh, but I want to have lunch at not when the sun is highest, but uh, but and uh, yeah, I but don't it'll want be to go to it'll be when it gets dark. <laughs> All the, the all the local day. stores will have the times posted, you know? Like, you, mean, you, mean, you mean like using universal time just for everything? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. 
and then just people will know that like here universal time sunrise is at 1400 yeah. universal time and stuff i think it would take i it, it, i think people will get used to it it's just the activation energy god to get people to change would be a problem oh i agree yeah. I just saying because like it's more efficient. You still have people complaining about the euro. The euro has been in place for for more than fifteen years now. Well, you there's still have, have different things to complain like, about than before. That would be and about to say Deutschmark is gone. It's gone. I mean, I've, I've I adjusted to the euro in about maybe two months, but a lot of old people still have problems, and um, um, the bank account numbers when they change to the, full of the I, IBAN <laughs> system. Which is a lot better for everybody, but old people are still oh these terrible long numbers. I can't remember them. Them yeah, you don't have to remember them. Just <laughs> write them down. I mean uh, that's part of the reason why I'm stuck doing all the uh, yep. all the banking. So for my we need to do. Uh, <laughs> they tricked you. Um, <laughs> we get um all everybody on the same time, and everybody using Bitcoin. We're done. All problems <laughs> solved. Living in harmony. Oh, we'll find new reasons, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> there always right. will be reasons for things to go wrong, Jesse. Ah, uh, well. Um, okay, so uh, drug of choice today, Prince Alberic and the Snake Lady by Vernon Lee next week. Mm-hmm. I- Isle of Pirate's Doom. Cora's already signed up for that. Paul not available. Um, uh, unless I, Paul's yeah, available. Yeah, be, be, be. Oh, because I'll be leaving to drive to Worldcom that Sunday. Right. So, and then oh yeah, Paul is not cool. available for Space Cadet either. But I, which is a, you're doing another Heinlein without me? Wow, it's like the second you've done in a row without me. It's like I'm going to lose my cred. I'm sorry, Paul, but you you uh, have a lot of not availables on there. I, I go on adventures. I mean, have you met me? Yeah, personally. That- <laughs> I mean, Corey's met me. Corey can attest. Like, yeah, oh, of course. Oh, I, I am aware, Paul. I'm just saying. I mean, yeah, you, you, and of book. course, um, you have to go because you, you have a job um, at a company over the week. You have to go on the weekends, otherwise, it gets difficult. Are you saying? Right. Are you saying? I, I, did you just say, Paul? Schedule the boring ones when I'm not here. Is that what you yes, were going to say? That's exactly what I said. Okay, well, um, you tell me which ones are boring. <laughs> well, not Heinlein, because I'm always up for a Heinlein. Um, the, um, the, the Robert E. Howard, you can scourge Holly Howard. Easy there. Go. Um, You're not signed up for Easy Go. Clearly, you think Michael Crichton is boring. <laughs> oh, because you didn't put my name on there. We were talking about that. All right, just, pop it in. I did pop it in. All right, good. Um, okay. Yeah. So uh, that's interesting. So th- there are none, is what I can see that you don't want to do. Maybe- um, <laughs> um, there's, there's some. There, there are a couple I've said I don't want to be on. Oh, oh yeah, um, but that like was like appendix guy, for example. But that wasn't boring. That was right well, in your no, no, but it's a, wheelhouse. You just but, worried about you know association with trolls, trolls. or well, yes, whatever. Uh, Puppies Appendix uh, N. Um, uh, we did a long the, time ago. Book, the Peter Burbigel one or the, the one by Jeffro Johnson? Jeffro Johnson. Yeah. Jeffro uh, Johnson. Oh, um, yeah, I guess I would miss that too. Really? So, I mean, uh, Jeffro Johnson already doesn't like me. <laughs> well, like uh, me because I've criticized Stephen him. Stephen King probably and, uh, wouldn't like me. He has trollish threats. <laughs> what did you say? 
he already doesn't like me. He doesn't like. I think he probably doesn't like Paul either. Because no, he, no, we are and not I friends. Also was, I was actually kind of said like, okay, oh, okay. I've also said he's Jeffrey Johnson is also pretty much wrong about everything he says. He says. Oh, and, that's. Uh, uh, did you read his I, book? I, I, it's pretty like, good. Oh, those books are buried. No one reads Burroughs anymore. I said, like, um, I grew up in West Germany when import paperbacks were, were three times the price. I read Burroughs. No, no. Burroughs. He, he's I saying today, currently. So what are you talking about? about? It's not my problem that your bookstore doesn't have Burroughs. Even mine had Burroughs. And it had almost nothing. Yeah, but it doesn't today. That it's So I, I read that book. If you haven't read no, the today book. Today it uh, usually doesn't have Burroughs. That's, it's that's the issue, course. I think. Like, there's a lot of... Uh, but, he's, but he's about our age, and uh, he should have read all of the stuff growing up, and yeah. it's not someone is deliberately buying it. It's not the also, m- most amazing book, but it was definitely worth reading. I think he thinks God. I think he thinks gods of Mars or something was was Christian. It's like okay, but that's very ethical. I, I didn't read past the first book. Yeah, he's kind of um, yeah. Okay, so no, that's not a crowd I necessarily want to poke. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah, but I mean, yeah, it's. You know, like I was saying, Stephen King, he doesn't know who I am. But if, if he did, he wouldn't like me. <laughs> I read the book he doesn't want anybody to read. Oh, yes. That was that one. Uh, what was it? Was this, was it was Rage. the school shooting one? Yeah, school I, shooting I don't, one. I don't remember what it was. There's various yeah. books, you know, he's probably worried about people reading now. Mostly those early ones. Mm. Um, but yeah. I mean, I like the earlier King a lot better than I like the later King. Oh, well, we did King that 2014 a, book that's pretty good. Um, what's it called, yeah, Paul? He, he still writes good books today, but um, maybe it's just that the Madlik is, um, was that the Madlik and also the Frisson of, oh, this is very bad stuff. You really shouldn't be book? reading it. All the teachers hate it. Well, it's no longer there. <laughs> what's the, what's the lightning book, Paul? What's the lightning book? Yeah, from 2014, Stephen King. It's, uh, Starts with an R, I think. It's like sort of his take on uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Oh, oh, uh, yeah. What, what, what's not the, the order of pen, pen names? Um, no, no, no. Did a show on it. I just don't remember the name of it. I'll type it in. King, Space Viking. No, <laughs> not Space Viking. Shining <laughs> Strawberry Strawberry Spring. Everything's eventual. Dance Macabre. No. Uh, okay, apparently it's not on the list. Um, it was one Evan suggested. He's a big King guy. And uh, it was pretty good. Like, I'm not a major King guy, but King. And the answer is not a revival. There we go. Oh, oh revival, that's right. Yeah. Um, Roadwork was pretty good. That was a, a again, yeah, but that's an, but that's earlier in yeah, but that's one that he probably wouldn't like people reading now. I mean, I don't know. It's it's, it's not typical of his stuff now. No. Yeah. Um. And ra- rage, road work. What were the other two? The long walk, which is also almost a school uh, <laughs> attacking book, right? Because yeah. It's, it's pretty. Harsh, and then there was one more from that early, early period. Uh, oh, the Running Man. Yeah, <laughs> but that's a yeah. Again, that's Bachman. Yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, I would say I think revival the one he was doesn't worth want reading. Printed is also Bachman. Was it also? I think it was also. It's Bachmann. Rage, Rage, yeah. Yeah, Rage. That's the one. I think it was also Bachman book. I'm mm-hmm. not quite sure. Yeah, no, it was for sure. Yeah. Well, 
Um, speaking of books people don't want anybody to read, let's talk about this one because I think uh, it's pretty interesting. Um, Paul, you got a recorder? Well, I have a recorder going, yes. All right. Uh, I'm going to get my little... Uh, there it is. My Wikipedia entry for drug of choice out. And um, I'm ready. Here we go. Uh, Jesse Paul Cora.